Hello and welcome to Chaos Dwarf Radio, the Brazen Broadcast. Brought to you from a dumpster around the back of Forge World Studios. My name is Oxymandas and today with me I have Reva. Hey guys. Michael X. Hey, what's up? And Chitskoy. Hi everyone. Now today guys, we are going to be discussing a few different topics. We're going to be talking about... Um, the Age of Sigma uh, new box set that's coming out because uh, some of the contents of that set, the green skins, the hobgoblins in particular, are going to be of, of massive interest to our listeners. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about um, Kadai Fireborn. And for those of you who don't know, these are the kind of fire, lava, demon creatures that came out with the, uh, the Forge World range of, of Chaos Dwarfs. Uh, unfortunately, not available to purchase in shops anymore, but we're going to be talking about what can listeners do to create Kadai Fireborn for their armies? What um, models can they purchase or what conversions can they create in order to get those in their army? And um, finally, we're going to be doing something that we haven't actually done on this podcast before, and that's going to be an interview. We're going to be interviewing um, Tyranna, who has just finished up work on the Ninth Age Hobgoblin army book. So it's a an army book, a bit like a Warhammer army book or a codex, but for the game Ninth Age to allow users to um, create and play a fully Hobgoblin force. There are rules in that game to have Hobgoblin allies or slaves to your cast dwarves, but his team has created a book where you can actually play as a fully Hobgoblin army and have a really unique take on it. That's something we recorded uh earlier this week, myself and Chits did, um, so we'll, we'll be tacking that on to the end of this episode. So maybe we should start off uh, first, before we get into the, the kind of bulk of this podcast, maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, what we've been doing lately in terms of, of hobby and uh, I'll talk about your life, I'm not going to stop you. Um, so I've been working on um, a certain uh, piece of siege artillery for the Arstazans contest that is coming up. But unfortunately, my poor Arscan, which is is looking at me with his sad, sad expression on the other side of my hobby room right now, he has been somewhat neglected in that I've sculpted about 70% of it and then done what I always do and gone and got obsessed in lots of other projects, which is, which is something I'm very, very guilty of. Um, in fact, my most recent project that I've been utterly obsessed with has been my historical army, my 28 millimeter Romans. This is something I talk to Admiral about. I, I relapse. I'm like I'm like a, a Roman addict. Every six or seven months in my life, it just happens that I watch a documentary or read a book or something, and then the only thing in my life I'll be caring about is early imperial Rome. It will pass, and then I'll get back on with my life, and then it will happen again. So at the moment, I'm absolutely knee-deep in historical miniatures. And uh, Michael, you'll be dead proud of me, mate. Um, Apart from the models I already owned, which was 40 auxiliary troops, I'm 3D printing the lot. This is going to be a, a fully 3D printed army, apart from the stuff that I had before I got a 3D printer. Nice. So I don't think it will ever stack up to your, your Chaos Dwarf endeavours, because that is, that is something else. That is, a, is a astronomical uh, levels of printing going on there, but this is a 3D printed army I'm working on. Um, but yeah, that, that's been me really. I've been I've been doing that. I've been chipping away at the zine as well, doing a little bit of editing here and there and that, and, uh, and 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 kind of cracking on. Oh, and for those of you that care, I got married as well, but that's not very interesting. Let's talk about the hobby. Uh, Chits, what have you been up to? 
<laughs> Talking of life events, um, I've been going through the the biggest um, challenge that any miniatures hobbyist can face, which is I'm moving house and I've got to bring all my toys with me. Um, so I've been putting it all in boxes and then reorganizing the boxes and then rattling them to see if they rattle um, and then reorganizing them again. And I've been because I'm a bit of a closet hobbyist, I've been writing vague names on the side of the boxes so that nobody outs me um and just sort of generally getting a grip on my collection and the gray mountain um which is absolutely enormous but um sadly it looks like i won't be moving until uh, september time now so it'll all be in boxes over summer in a storage unit um and then in ebay terms those of you who know me know that i broker um for people across the internet who are looking to finish their collections and what i've been doing is i've been um helping to uh, help people finish their dogs of war collections um i've got a couple of regiments that are still kind of sitting on the offers um but i've moved them incredibly fast who knew that dogs of war minis were so popular but they really are um and of course as you all know i've been keeping the best ones for myself um i'm going to be using rico's republican guard as a set of armored uh, chaos dwarf war slaves um, and I'm also going to be looking really carefully at um, Bronzino uh, and the Bronzino's Galloper guns as well to, to feature in that force that I'm developing. Nice, nice. I find Dogs of War are like on so many people's list of the army I wish I'd got. And I don't know if that's just because they went up in value so much over the years, but I know so many hobbyists who were, who were hobbying in the 90s or, or were aware of the hobby from the 90s who I now say, they now say to me, I bloody wish I'd got Dogs of War, or what good proxies are there for Dogs of War? It's, it's a real army people miss, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's like half a dozen reasons why it's so popular, right? The, the most basic one, though, is that people like the human factions, they like the heroes, and the Dogs of War had a unique flavour to them that meant that even if you didn't like the whole army, you probably saw one or two really visually distinctive regiments where you were like, I like that, I like that yeah. aesthetic. And for me, that's the heavily armoured Pavise Crossbowman, Braganza's Procedures, and the heavily armoured Pikeman, Rico's Republican Guard. Those are the ones that I think are truly cool. And then, of course, a lot of you guys will know, I have an enormous number of Ogla Khan's Wolf Boys um, and Gazak Khan as a leader. And, you know, that's only four out of maybe a dozen regiments of renown. But that is more than enough to keep me busy. And whenever I meet a collector, I sold... Um, all of the sculpts for um pirazzo's lost legion who are like conquistador themed pike or crossbowmen you could build them either way that's just so much more intense and flavorful than like another plastic empire release and so i think yeah. those minis came out and we were all just like kids and we we couldn't buy them and now a lot of people want to get them in their collections no i think you're right i think you're right mate absolutely it's, it's still a really really beloved uh beloved faction in fact i was looking at the uh the fan book uh that matthias edison done for his uh his warhammer armies project the dogs of war fan book for eight fed looks like a lot of fun and actually talking of the romans i've been painting up it looks like the best way of getting them into friendly eight fed games that's hilarious um 
the other thing I love the most about that, though, is that I do think that Dogs of War is a bit of a spiritual cousin to us. They're not as oppressed over the years because ultimately, you know, you do what you can with them. But they they are a heavily fan-supported faction that's got many high-quality Warhammer Armies PDFs out there on the internet. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, they had one release and then they were squatted, basically. Um, and that's what happened to us. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that uh, it leaves people wanting more, doesn't it? I like that, yeah. I think you're right, probably are a spiritual cousin to, to the old Chaos Dwarf. Um, nice one. Um, Michael X, what have you been working on, mate? Um, well, as most of you know, I've been working on my, uh, well, the same as you, on my uh, competition sculpt, um, with uh, also the, the, the butt team. Um, but yeah, I, I sculpted it quite quickly, actually. I was done maybe a month ago with, no, that's not true, maybe two or three weeks ago. And then I slapped some paint on it. Um, and then I got to the point where the base colors were done and, and it was, well, more than base colors. It was like leaning into the painting stuff or the, the detail stuff. Um, and I was like, I need a, I need to take a short break, you know, to, to clear the palette, so to speak. Um, so I quit. And in that week, I got sick. Uh, some of you may know, but my daughter got uh, COVID from school. And then I got it. And long story short, uh, I felt like painting for the first time yesterday. So I did a bit of uh, detailing on it. Um, and in between, I also printed some kill teams and stuff like that. So it's not that I didn't do any hobby stuff, but setting down to paint just felt just a bit too much. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I've been doing since last podcast and, and this podcast. I mean, massively appreciate you coming out and doing today as well, Michael. I know your energy levels must be quite low and stuff because uh, obviously it's, a, it's, an horrible, it's an horrible thing to get. Family all good, mate? Yeah, yeah, we're all fine. It's uh, two more days of, well, three more days with the weekends uh, included of quarantine, and then it's all good. So, um, yeah, mostly we're all just, well, my wife and I are, are a bit tired. The kids are insanely, they didn't have any symptoms. <laughs> Unfortunately for us, they were just very energetic. So uh, it's been rough, but other than that, yeah, no big problems. Luckily, I mean, it's a godsend they had no symptoms. That's a good thing, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, when, when kids are at their maximum energy, well, you're at your lowest energy. That's a horrible combination. Yeah. Thing is, you know, if you're sick yourself and your kids are sick, that's bad too because you, you have to take care of them while True. still taking care of yourself. But, you know, when they're like hyperactive and, and you're just like, I want to sleep, <laughs> let me be. Yeah, that's that's rough. And, and also for them, you know, I mean, we've been home for um, the, the school was closed for four weeks and then they went to school for, well, the oldest went to school for maybe three weeks or something like that. And then this happened and we've been in quarantine for maybe 32 days now, something like that, about a month. And, you know, they like being home with us, but when you're working and then after work, you're exhausted and you have to like, you know, do household chores and stuff like that. They just want your attention and they want to play with you and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, it's rough on them. You know, mentally they, 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 my oldest one is old enough to, to understand what's going on, but still, you know, she she acts out and, and she regressed somewhat in her 
um well cognitive abilities and, and like bed wedding and stuff like that it's it's probably going a bit too far in details here but it's it's rough on the kids rougher on them than on us i suppose well i say mate you're a bloody trooper for coming out today and we, we really appreciate it i'm glad i'm glad the family's i'm glad the family's good because obviously that shit can be well we know it can be bloody awful can't we well, uh, it's good to be here. It's fun to. Th this is motivating to make me. This is motivating me to to paint and and you know be active in the hobby again. So it's a good thing for me to be here. Yeah, nice one, nice one. And uh, and Reva, what have you been up to, my friend? Well, not entirely sure. Uh, probably not a whole lot of actual painted minis. The battle against the gray has gone much slower since about three rooms of my apartment have been taken up with various phases of uh an ass cannon build of course but um just finished cleaning up uh the various messes that were involved in that today and uh set up some nice lights to take pictures of my ass very uh in high detail before it goes in the uh in the in the airbrush booth to get painted so Good progress. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what everybody has uh, has to display in uh, in about a month, I believe. So that took up a lot of time. Um, super fun build. I'm excited to have brought together some old bits from a lot of various sources that uh, had no rights sitting for as long as they did. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a fun build. I think the only other thing. Miniature hobby wise, uh, painted uh, a couple of Wargame exclusive models, some of their Star Wars, uh, the Mandalorian, who's the uh, Vindalorian assassin or Vindicare, Vindicare assassin. I'm trying to remember the actual GW name, but um, their proxy for that and the little grot in a pram, uh, baby grot in a pram. So those are fun. Um, ended up painting those up for, uh, for a giveaway that I just mailed out today. Um, had a crack at some non-metallic metal, kind of following on from what I was doing in uh, in my Bloodborne minis. So that was fun, super different. Hadn't done a 40k model in quite a while, so yeah, it was entertaining. Nice. Started. Um, not too much else. I was uh, on vacation last week uh, for well, really just over a long weekend. Had a chance to go home and uh, dig out some of my old oil pastel work and. Get some woodworking done. Help my dad set up a bunch of his uh, tools for the summer. Clean out the garage, and uh, we were able to kind of experiment with his new uh, router table and build a frame for one of my old pieces to get that so it's not curled up in a tube like it has been for the last twelve years. Uh, and Reva, have you uh, have you done any more in your Bloodborne, or is Bloodborne finished now? Yeah, <laughs> it's Bloodborne finished. That's funny. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, I have uh, another batch of about 30 miniatures, uh, mold lines relatively clean, uh, got about another 10 or 15 based uh, and ready to be painted. They're going to be uh, airbrushed in the same breath as uh, as the ass cannon build and okay. a couple of other things. So uh, no, nowhere close. Um, making very good headway through uh, through the boss miniatures and um kind of digging into some of the the mobs uh, that are like quantity four of each so yeah that one's going to be a long haul um and frankly there will probably be some that uh, that i won't get to just because they're not terribly pleasing in terms of they don't seem like a fun endeavor to paint um, yeah 
talking specifically about like three kind of generic human miniatures with torches all glued to the same base in a very inconvenient way. Oh, it's gonna be um, hard. Yeah, working around. Yeah, we'll see. There, there will be some that I'll probably paint one-offs just to have a, a painted version of it. But I probably will only do the quantity four of the miniatures um, on the ones that I'm interested in painting, or or would just be you know easy and fast. But um, making my way right now through the uh, the Vile Bloods expansion, which is all um, very in theme with some recent GW releases, although no centaurs are present. Um, bat centaurs. Don't get me started yeah, on bat just, centaurs. Just uh, some nice blood-sucking ticks and various little like castle um, knights and uh, a couple of gargoyle looking beasts. So one of my favorite areas of the game. So I'm going to be painting every miniature from that box. So. What model comes in this? Because, I mean, you mentioned expansion packs there. You, have you bought multiple expansion packs? Because when you first told me you were painting up a board game, I very naively thought, a hero quest or something. But it seems like this is a lot of miniatures in it. It's over 200. <laughs> Bloody hellfire. That's like painting an <laughs> army. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Um, there were 12 boxes, 12 regular board game sized boxes that came in the mail. Reeve, you never do anything by halves, mate. I respect that. Yeah. I mean, at this point I committed to the basing and, and that's um, <laughs> basing is killer like that, isn't it? Yeah. I, I did it with, uh, with these Romans I'm painting. Um, I realized that I could get a better crackle effect with the paint. If I put down, I, I was using the games workshop, uh, textures, right? I put down the brown sand one first and then let it dry and then put the light brown crackle one on top of it where it's going onto an uneven surface you get a much nicer bumpy sort of crackle effect made the mistake of doing it on one model and liking it and then realizing i'm going to have to replicate that hundreds of times now interesting nice yeah, yeah. <laughs> these i mean these castle themed bloodborne miniatures i grab some no fire uh snow texture so um something i had at my house grabbed that while i was home so that that'll make those go a little bit more speedy i can i can cheat the cheat the cobblestone sculpting and and lean into that a bit more uh, but there's a whole woods expansion that i'm doing tree roots and stuff all over that i just kind of dug into that um that'll take a while but um might be entertaining to hear I, i'm not sure if i shared this but um I was I was trying to avoid buying uh, packs of flowers uh, because I really don't use them that much in basing. You know, just the little tufted flowers made of static grass and whatnot. Is it? It's not cheap to get. You know, the tools you need to DIY those you know, static grass applicator and some other things. So I was I was trying to figure out if I could get by on my own, and I ended up just making a, a horrendous mess on several occasions. Not one of which was a terrible idea of just trying to take a, a Dremel tool to an Advil bottle and seeing if I could make like tiny little uh, white shreds that I could <laughs> tuft the top of a static grass clump. But um, I since gave up on those pursuits and bought like a relatively on sale pack of white flowers. Yeah, sometimes you just got to look at the effort involved in some things are worth home making, some things aren't. That's a funny thing about this hobby. Like, we we often we often moan, don't we, about the uh, the workload and the stuff that we're doing and the the standards we have to achieve. And sometimes you just have to sit back and go, "We're choosing to do this." <laughs> There's no boss breathing down my neck. 
for some reason, I feel like it's a clock. I've got to get this done. I've got to get it to this standard. <laughs> it's a funny old hobby, the pressure we've got on ourselves. All right, fellas, I think that's probably uh, time to start chatting about what we're going to be chatting about today. So, Age of Sigmar, new box set, new edition, new release. I take it you've, you've all seen it, haven't you guys? So, I was watching it. when After I became convinced that it was going to happen, I was watching it on my phone on the top deck of a bus in blazing sunlight, desperately trying to disconnect and reconnect. Brutal. I got live update from shit, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was also posting screen caps of everything to um, the Discord. By the way, you guys should join the Discord if you don't already have it. Absolutely, you should definitely sign up. Reva, did you uh, did you listen to it live or did you catch up with with the news later on? I mostly just uh, sat in the Discord and let all the wonderful folks kind of keep me up to speed on that. That was about my level of engagement as well as the whole two weeks leading up to the release. Yeah, because the two weeks leading up to the release was uh, was nothing if not filled with speculation on our forum and on our Discord, was it not? Because uh, it, there had been some some rumblings, there had been some, some rumours coming out that uh, Greenskins, the Destruction Force, but particularly Greenskins, were going to be featuring quite heavily in this box. But also, quite early on, the word Hobgoblins and the word Wolf Riders were being thrown around an awful lot. So. Um, to say our community, and it's interesting because our community isn't a primarily Age of Sigmar focused one. We have Age of Sigmar fans among us, but primarily kind of uh, Warhammer fantasy battles, really, and a couple of other similar rank and blank games. But our community really, really got invested in this. Um, quite a lot to the point where uh, notifications were turned off once or twice, I have to admit. Yeah, same here. <laughs> But I think, you know, it's the excitement of being included in a mainstream release again, isn't it? It's it's the energy that comes of new sculpts and the kind of future that is heavily implied in this release. I can't blame people for getting excited about it, no matter how people feel about AOS as a system. The minis are the minis, right? No, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. But the thing is, you know, since I have a 3D printer... I have been so much or or less involved in whatever a a company like Games Workshop does. You know, I'm still excited to see new Hobgoblins, but even if they had Hobgoblins at this time, you know, I probably would have still printed my own because it's cheaper and I can print as much as I want without having to pay much extra. Um, So I'm happy for the future because that means there is a small chance we can get even more. And we can maybe get some new Chaos Dwarf, you know. There's the the hope for the future that's been um, reinforced. But other than that, yeah. I mean, that's definitely the headline for the forum, right? Is that Cruel Boys are here, here are some Hobgoblins. But more importantly, you are definitely getting Chaos Dwarfs. We are going to explicitly or implicitly talk about them um, and make it clear that they have a relationship with the Hobgoblins um, and therefore that you can probably expect them to be a release that is coming as part of this edition of Age of Sigmar, which means, you know, we're probably a year to two years away from seeing a Chaos Dwarf range. It's crazy. It does make the Asgore line being dropped make more sense, if that is the case. Yeah. And I mean, part of me feels like everyone has, you know, kind of knows the news, right? Like, we've all talked about it on the forum, and we've all talked about it. But in case anyone doesn't know... 
explicitly the hobgoblins have been designed they're called hobgrots now they've got this very distinctive looking armor that doesn't resemble the armor of the other units in the cruel boys range they've got this dark masters relationship that is clearly a reference to the chaos dwarfs that you know we were told during the webcast was um to do with their relationship in the the world that was and from that perspective, it does kind of make sense because AOS has had releases for all the major um, Chaos Gods. And as a result, they had kind of two or three choices. They can either go back to the start and do corn again, or they can come out with a Chaos range that's that's more distinctive this time around. And it seems clear that they're going to do Chaos Dwarfs in this edition because they've done the Hobgrots and said that the Hobgrots have like an economic relationship with Dark Masters, which can only mean one thing. Mm, I hope so. I mean, you know, speculation can be tricky. You can, like, fill in gaps with what you wish instead of what you really know. But, yeah, it, it definitely seems um, to point in the direction we all hope it will be pointing in. And I think the real question for us as a group, before we move on to talk about the Hobgots in general, is if they Age of Sigmarify our beloved... Chaos Dwarfs, they are not going to be the same as they were before. They are not going to be the Big Hats, and they are not going to be the Grimdark Big Hats of the Legion of Asgore, because GW already made those miniatures, and GW never does an Age of Sigmar version of something that resembles what it was before. And if you look at the Hobgoblins and the way that they look really quite profoundly different, we've got to expect that the Chaos Dwarfs will look different as well. Which leaves us with the question, are you excited about the idea of an Age of Sigmarified Chaos Dwarf line or not? I'll say my perspective on this is I'm excited for any love that Chaos Dwarfs as a faction get. And the reason for that is it will bring people into our forum and it will bring people into our little budding Discord and community and uh, it will give us more people to talk to for the zine and all that kind of stuff. A rising tide raises all ships, you know, it would be it would be a good thing for us. In terms of am I excited for the Age of Sigmar take on what Chaos Dwarfs are, I'm gonna have to really, really reserve my judgment because you know, once bit and twice shy. A lot of the Age of Sigmar releases that have reimagined some of my favourite factions from the old world. Some of it has been good, and this is obviously my, my point of view, others will disagree. Some of it has been so wacky and so out there that it's, well, you can't really, you can't ruin my childhood memories, they're, they're still there, but it yeah, has but certainly not, not lived up to my culture and not lived up to my childhood memories. But then I have to remember, I'm not the target audience here, right? I'm a 30-year-old I'm a gamer who's been gaming for 20 years and has bought all those models from those eras that I want. They're aiming at a at, at new kid who's walking into the shop for the first time. And it's got to excite that kid, hasn't it? Because his hobby's got to continue. It's got to go into a new generation. So I'm not, I'm not against change as such. But some of it is for me and some of it is not for me. It's kind of how I would word that. You know, the thing is, for me, if they would release... Chaos Dwarfs that are really different than what we have now, I think that would be the most interesting they could do, because if they would release new Grimdark or Big Hat models, I know a lot of you would be really happy, but I already have access to those, 
know, I can print as much of those as I want to. But if they would bring something new to the table, and hopefully it would be okay, you know, something we can use in a, in a, in a fantasy army of our choosing, then that would be great because they would have something that nobody else would have. Um, on the other hand, if they come out with something that's, you know, well, ugly or I don't really care, you know, whatever they do to fuck it up, um, then, you know, no loss. I mean, still, Chaos Wars will get some attention. Still, we will probably get some new members. So for me, this is definitely a win-win. Whether I'll buy the models or like the models is, well, irrelevant. I'm definitely excited on behalf of, like, the forum, not just for the new blood effect, but also because of, like, the modeling opportunities that are going to come of a top-quality GW plastic range. Now, there is the issue that, like, they have been tending towards more and more monopos as time's gone on, right? Hyper-detailed, but fundamentally not as versatile as the old plastic regiments. Um, and we're going to have to wait and see where they fall on that stuff. But... I know that as hobbyists, we're going to use it as fuel for whatever our personal take on on Chorfs is anyway. And I think no one's a better example of that than you, Oxy, because you've got this super 80s aesthetic Norse ice dwarf thing going on. It's not it's not hugely directly aesthetically related to the big hat range at all. Right. But in practice, you've taken a lot of inspiration and a lot of concepts from it. And I'm sure that even if it's a bit more lumineth than, I don't know, what was a good AOS range? Reaver and I made a list the other day. Gloomspite was pretty good. Gloomspite, there you go. Gloomspite was in the spirit of the old models, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, even if that does happen, we'll turn it into whatever we want to turn it into. We do that all the time. We've been trained by, like, 20 years of obscurity. Um, I don't want to step on anyone else. So is there anyone else want to comment on that before I go on to talk a little bit about the armor aesthetic and what it suggests? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys pretty much covered it, but I'll just say from two weeks of not even having pictures of these hobgoblins, we had speculation flying around the forum and there was already a host of fantastic and some very AOS ideas being thrown around. But just taking that as evidence, we have just two weeks of a ridiculous quantity of traffic on on the discord S some really fantastic ideas some rather hilarious concept art uh won't really get into descriptions on some of it but um, <laughs> just bringing that to the forum that can't be a bad thing uh so just and like you guys have said bringing you know new plastic bits into that landscape can only help um from my perspective and we'll get into more on the actual aesthetics of the hobgoblins themselves but something i could see myself being interested in would be a new range of chaos force with a new aesthetic that i could see as something uh further east and as a small kind of attached mercenary unit to live with my pirate faction and i could see that being something where i could buy a small amount of gw miniatures not throw them several paychecks and and get to engage with the new miniatures that's kind of where i would see myself living at best case um yeah i'll leave it at that i think that is actually a fantastic segue reaver in, into what i was going to go on to say about the the aesthetics right because to talk about 
the future of Chaos Dwarfs, the only other thing that we can really draw on is these hobgoblins. We know they have a relationship. So let's talk directly about the hobgoblins and their aesthetics. So we'll put some of the Warhammer community images up on the YouTube video, courtesy of Oxy's hard work. Um, do we want to just kind of jump into it and say what we think about the look and feel and what, you know, what works for us, what's different, what we like? Yeah, let's do that. So let's have, let's have a look at the, at the picture of the hobgoblins. So here's the thing. These don't look like hobgoblins as, as we know them. Um, they have obviously taken the concept of the hobgoblin uh, which is a medium-sized goblinoid who is stronger than a goblin, but weaker than an orc. Um, they've drawn on the long torsos of the 93 Scythian floppy hat range, uh, which is an interesting aesthetic, and they have used that. Other than that, though, really what we're dealing with here is some unpleasant and cruel-looking dudes, but the aesthetic comparison really ends there. Because what we are looking at is nudists wearing small amounts of plate armour, which is strapped together, covering the thigh and the centre of the chest. And then very wicked looking spiked samurai slash Mongol styled helmets. And I was looking for the name of what these Mongol styled helmets were, and I couldn't find one. Um, mm. So the, the style itself is not that distinct. But as, as we will go on to discuss, I think they look slightly more samurai than Mongol anyway. Um, but the armor plates themselves are really interesting because the armor plates have got these kind of, I don't want to call them nipples, but people on the forum have been calling them nipples. They've got these circle. They've got these circles with bolts in them, and that all makes sense. But the issue is, this is very small amounts of armor, and it's tied together by quite large amounts of rope. So there is a bit of a bondage samurai aesthetic going on here. Um, that it wasn't quite what I was expecting. I'll be honest. It's clearly a hobgoblin, and yet it's <laughs> totally different from anything we've ever seen before. Yeah, I completely agree on the on the eastern uh, eastern vibes that. I uh, definitely picked up on that as well and that and and rope honestly kind of plays into that a little bit uh with some kind of classical renditions of samurai aesthetics but the helmets completely agree i can't put a finger on it but it does have that uh it does have that samurai look and that actually kind of, yeah like like you said segued there because that's kind of what i was if if we're to bring this into a chaos dwarf realm yeah. it actually something that was you know more interesting than i would expect myself being out of it um, not necessarily from the hobgoblin perspective, but as to what that could portend. And again, just to be explicit for everyone, we're not making this up. We're not being optimistic. We were told they get their weapons and armor from Dark Masters whose relationship with them goes back to the world that was. That means Chaos Dwarfs, which means that this arms and armor is the best indication of what that might look like, especially because none of the other cruel boys range really has any kit or equipment that looks much like this do you know what's something though um which hasn't really been spoken about because i might be completely off mark here i'm seeing a slightly strange influence here as i'm looking at it now i'm looking at one of the goblins kind of singled out his helmet with the spike on top of it the grenade in his hand being a stick with a bomb on the end of it that's it's world war one that's a Picklehauser helmet and a World War One grenade, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's the it's the sides of the helmet that say samurai. The spike mm -hmm. itself is also a reference to one of the four 
Ogla Khan's wolf boys, wolf boys, who wears a helmet that is you know, kind of Far East styled with a pike at the top. But the grenades are like the new and interesting thing about the unit as the way that it fights. And again, is something that we're told they get from the Chaos Dwarves. And from that perspective, it does bring that kind of industrialized warfare element, which I do think that we would probably all agree we'd like to see in the Chorf range when it comes. Well, we were talking about the Great War when we were talking about um, the Legion of Asgore range. We were talking about the big uh, guns and trains and all that kind of stuff in the First World War and in the Second World War and that as well. So there... I'm not saying that the, the Great War is a direct inspiration here, but the Great War is an image of war on an industrial scale, on industry bent towards war. And yet, isn't that just what Chaos Dwarfs are all about? Industry yeah, bent absolutely towards agreed. war. So maybe, maybe it's not a direct influence coming in there. Maybe it's just it's a bit more of a subtle one. But then that could, that could lead into what the Chaos Dwarfs are more like. Now, here's my, my hope for the Chaos Dwarfs, right? This armor is spiky and nasty and and metal and industrial mm. and that's cool. Now, if the Chaos Dwarfs are kitted out in armor like that from head to toe, this could look really badass. Mm. If, however, the Chaos Dwarfs are going down the kind of nudist with a little bit of armor approach, it might not be. Now, my hope is that these are their hobgoblin lackeys and their slaves, so they will be less well equipped. Therefore, we can expect the dwarfs to be heavier armored. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, famously in World War One, the Kaiser's crack troops did fight almost completely naked, except for small amounts of body armor. So I think that might be a World War One influence that people haven't tapped onto either. How do we feel about the, for want of a better word, nudism and ropes? I mean, where are you guys at on that? Because I'm not feeling it. I'm going to be really honest with you. No. Much, uh, I don't have really any issues with it, to be honest, you know. I mean, Greenskins, they're slaves to us, to Chaos Dwarfs. So mm. it would be weird for them to be very dressed and, and armored anyway, in my in my um, headcanon. So, yeah, it might be a bit weird to only have plate armor and some rope. But on the other hand, you know. You don't want to spend your finest clothing and finest armor on your slaves that will probably die pretty quickly. Just throwing away money anyway, so just give them some vital organ protection and stylish vital organ protection and send them out there. They'll blow, probably blow themselves up anyway. Yeah, and, and I do think that that is a really good take on it, Michael, right? Like, I'm... I can I can get behind that. I really can. Um, I think for me personally, it's such a gap between the original aesthetic and this one that as a stylistic choice, the Hobgoblins didn't seem like sort of happy warriors, if you see what I'm saying. They're always betraying people. They're always sneaking around. They like to surround their enemies and get behind them. That's the original sneaky git aesthetic. And... These guys are much more in your face, um, which I think, you know, good luck to them. They are greenskins, right? And they are hyping up that element of it. Um, but I just am not going to go with my other stuff because everyone else yeah. is wearing clothes because it was fifth edition. These guys are not made to go with your stuff. These guys are made yeah. to 
No, I know. With, you know, with new AOS and even with old lore, this doesn't seem stupid from a Chaos Dark perspective because, you know, even in your own stories, um, you don't really want to put your back to a goblin, you know? Yeah, no, I completely it. agree with you. I, I do think, I do think it works, but the more I look at it, like I think the coolest thing about these guys is the yeah. heads, and I'll be interested. And like the hook hands, the really horrible looking knives, and I really, as Oxy says, I really want to see that aesthetic reflected in the Chaos Dwarf range when it finally comes. Now, to be honest, to be honest, if they would have some simple, you know, cloth robing. Or or some simple shirt and pants, they wouldn't look worse. <laughs> I mean, it would make them not necessarily better, but they would still look the same for me. They would still have the same vibe, but they would fit better with whatever we all have. So I get where you're coming from. I think an interesting thing here is right. Um, Age of Sigmar has generally been moving away from fantasy slowly generally has been doing away with some of the tropes of unit formations when you look at new models that are being brought out a lot of things like standard bearers and musicians are disappearing now standard bearers seem to be hanging about a bit more but normally as special characters average box of troops now tends to be warriors with a champion it's very interesting that these guys have this horn blower and this standard bearer as a normal part of their unit which to those of us who play um Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and you're looking at converting these into your units, that's one thing you don't have to do, isn't it? You actually have a standard bearer and a horn blower there already, which is quite nice. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So, that, like, you know, they haven't been completely wiped out, right? So Zangors have a standard bearer and a musician in them, for instance. Um, and, you know, the musician's also playing a giant horn. And i wonder if what you're you're reaching for jack is that maybe these are intended to be used in the fullness of time as kind of double count for um the old world when it finally happens see i was gonna raise that point but when i raised that point on my local gaming group they all told me i was wrong and it won't be <laughs> i think i think the thing that is most interesting because i tell you what sculpts are definitely not being made to rank up on square bases easily that's mm. not being done um my personal guess is that if they've got any brains at all the old world is going to use unit bases where you put your circular base troops onto a square frame rather than authentically square based individual models but that's that's neither here nor there the point is they are definitely mortgaging a lot more of the old world's ip by making this and bringing these guys out and the chaos dwarfs are clearly going to do that again in future and whether people decide to use them across both systems, I think that GW will probably be positive about that. And I definitely think that the inclusion of things like standard bearers and musicians, even in chaff units, it does it does move in that direction for me as well. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to get too bogged down in base sizes and that either, but these guys might struggle to rank up perfectly on 20 mils. I think you could do it. Diagonally, I think you could do it. Be a bit of work, maybe, that standard bearer. But... Um, yeah. Maybe twenty if twenty five mil square ends up being the standard for troopers, you're laughing with this troop here. But anyway, like I said, let's not get bogged down in base sizes because this is a game that hasn't even been announced yet. For all we know, it's fifteen millimeter scale. So <laughs> yeah, well, I want to I wanted to point out that we are all assuming they'll have the same base size as they have in in well eighth edition and whatever. 
but for all we know, they'll go on 25 millimeter square bases, and in my opinion, they'll rank up pretty okay on 25 mil bases. But then again, Oxy said, well, we don't want to get bogged down in bases, so I decided not to make that point. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Every time the old world gets mentioned, I always start a conversation with, uh, well, let's, let's not bother speculating because who knows what it's going to be. I mean, it's always about two or three hours of speculation, like just, just begins very early. Irresistible. It's irresistible. It's irresistible. Uh, and then if I also want to get bogged down about base sizes, here I am getting bogged down about base sizes. If 25mm ends up becoming the standard for the new game, that doesn't really matter to old gamers because you can get movement trays that put a little gap in between each model on your 20 mils. You won't even need to rebase. Rebasing is only ever harder when things need to be um, smaller than what they are. If things need mm -hmm. to be bigger than what they are, there are always workarounds. There are always things you can do to convert things and put things in movement. That's what I yeah, think. Yeah, because the scale's gone up so much. 20 millimeters doesn't hold what it used to, does it? But anyway, I think we should move away. Yeah, Reva was going to rescue us, but we can't. Uh, rescuing you by just still processing something that Chit said earlier. Uh, in terms of why, and, and I, I agree, and I think they don't particularly fit with, uh, you know, classically these hobgoblins. I wouldn't want to fit them in my army. But, and I think one of the first things that uh, I was looking at in parallels, uh, first saw these, like, okay, so we have some new, like, sneaky gits, uh, yet we're uh wearing clanky armor and throwing grenades and that might have been a little bit of a disconnect for me um granted yeah they're not necessarily just sneaky gets anymore but just in terms of uh the unit name and kind of what i thought first looking at them with kind of the the knives and everything uh but yeah and now i'm kind of just processing that a bit more and now i'm seeing this is a very noisy unit <laughs> these are not sneaking around so there's a little bit of like we're trying to sneak around but also we're just tossing grenades everywhere so that's a, it's an interesting choice and 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 it fits aos well uh it's just something that i don't necessarily see this uh jiving for me sneaky gits were flavorful right they were much more flavorful than any other of the old hobgoblin scythian hat range ultimately right and that's why what we're seeing is basically these guys and then we'll probably get some hobgoblins on wolves as a kind of callback to oglicon and fine that's good. I think that makes sense because they are trying to take the most flavorful things and some dudes with bows and some dudes with axes wearing a funny hat from 2000 years ago is not that flavorful compared to like, oh, they're crafty and sneaky and they got big knives. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm with them that far that these guys should be knife wielding psychos. Um, but quite how, you know, how they relate to it really they've taken cruelty as the thing that they've done right and they've given them horrible evil looking grins and like these guys clearly enjoy the infliction of pain and that's why they fight with the cruel boys as a faction who are clearly guys who take a lot of joy in shiving you arguably the sneaky gits are the unit that was used as inspiration not just for this regiment but for the entire cruel boys range because it's all about being vindictive it's all about being dastardly and going above and beyond what's acceptable to really do horrible things to your enemy and that's why the knives look as distinctive as they do that's why they use scrap grenades and they've got all sorts of other things there's a bolt thrower in this range included as well yeah a couple of points i want to pick up on there actually 
hatches. First of all, for grenades, right? For the Warhammer purist who wants to run these as sneaky gits, you are very fortunate that they have chosen a World War One style grenade forbis with a handle. And if you have a look at the bottom of the handle, it has the same diamond-shaped uh, kind of bottom parts um, to the blades as well. This is a very easy conversion to turn these into two knife-wielding hobgoblins. All you need is little spear tips, mm. little blades, and you can easily do that. The only sculpt that's sticking out of me of being a little bit more difficult with that is maybe the guy who's throwing it forward. But hey, if you want to go crazy and have one who's lobbing a blade at someone, I think that could still work as well. So I do think that these are very convertible to be sneaky gits, albeit sneaky gits with a very new aesthetic. Okay, sneaky gits that don't look like you kind of sippy and floppy hat. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I, I actually land where I like the grenades. I, I like that choice. And and so this is where I, I land in, in in sheer confusion because I actually like I appreciate the grenades and I want to keep them. That is something where I could definitely see um, it fits with Chaos Dwarfs. I that fits with my aesthetic, I think, as well. So yeah, so I'm I'm coming in in uh, in a dire state of confusion on these. I guess is the is the story. <laughs> I'm buying them, and I I. The nudism bothers me, but I'm buying them and I'm going to end up buying the, the Wolf Riders as well. By the way, we expect from a reputable source that there will be Wolf Riders who are Hobgrots as well. The source was so good that we basically knew about this before it was coming out. We won't give you any more details than that, but let's just say they've been on the money already. So I would fully expect Wolf Riders to be yeah. out soon. And we're going we're gonna to collab with some interesting people later this year as well, if we can get away with it. Um, I just one more thing to say on these, and I don't know whether you guys, whether I, I, I've skipped anything over, but like there's two options for what's going to happen with these guys, right? Option one, you're going to be able to take these as a battle line troops choice in the future Chaos Dwarf army. And it will be the first time that we've seen Greenskins fighting in a Chaos army since Big Hats. Option two... The Chaos Dwarfs are going to actually not be Chaos Dwarfs. They're going to be Destruction Dwarfs. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts is that, right, were Chaos Dwarfs, as in the Chaos Dwarfs of uh, Zarnagrund, were Chaos Dwarfs ever really Chaos Chaos Dwarfs? These guys worship an entity outside of the big Chaos uh, entities about the chaos gods they carry on warfare in a very different way to the their norskan uh you know uh, uh, not even allies people who they occasionally work with or, or supply armor to they were the, the this faction has been evil dwarfs over chaos dwarfs every single time the things that define this faction is that they are dwarfs and that they are evil they aren't even chaotic they are organized in the extreme these aren't anarchists these are these are planners and builders and, and and industrialists so i don't think that chaos dwarfs need to be or evil dwarfs that may replace them need to be wedded to the idea of chaos however chaos dwarfs being a destruction faction does that work either? Because from what I understand, destruction's main aims is the complete annihilation of civilization and governments and organization and all that kind of stuff. This this new giant teddy bear centaur apparently is the king of killing kings and killing cities and bringing all that stuff down. I can't see chaos dwarfs. I can't see chaos dwarfs 
aligning themselves with that worldview either. The other reason, though, why they might have to be, I'm going on the other side now, the other reason why they might have to be destruction is, have we ever had units that can ally with each other in Age of Sigma, but are from different grand alliances? I don't know, but I don't think so. So I don't think there's been an example where there is a chaos unit or chaos army who can take a unit of destruction models within its own faction. Sorry, quite a lot there. And Greenskins have historically been considered immune to chaos, right? Outside of old 80s lore tidbits around the edges. Yeah. So you can't argue that, like, if you field Hobgrots in your Zarvixa force or whatever the Chaos Dwarfs end up being, that they, like, actually are Chaos units. Look, I, I think you may not be allowed to pick Hobgrots. I think the Chaos Dwarfs will be Chaos Dwarfs because Dwarfs hate Orcs, and so you can't put them in Grand Alliance Destruction. And also for the things that you've said, Oxy, about, like, they build stuff, which goes against the whole aesthetic of destruction, which is, I just put on this bear skin and now I'm going to kill you. Um, but I don't know if you'll necessarily be allowed to keep the Hobgrots or whether that'll just be kind of a fluff thing and you won't be able to field them. You'll just be fielding your chorfs. I mean, it could be like if you look at AOS and what happened with the world and stuff like that, that they just, you know, even what they said with the release, that they choose to separate um, hobgrots or hobgoblins and chaos dwarfs, and that they're like maybe still dealing with them, but not really in the same army, or even not dealing directly with chaos dwarfs, but intermediates or something like that to separate the two armies. I I, I can see that happening actually. I definitely think that what you're dealing with is Chaos Dwarfs who, because they don't worship the main four, are on the outer edge of the Chaos Alliance, as it were, right? They're out there on the kind of, we're too cool for this shit. We'll sell guns to Greenskins if it pays the bills. Do you know what I mean? So it may be that the Chaos Dwarfs are the least chaosy of the Chaos Factions, and then the, the whatever they're called, Cruel Boys, are the most chaos of the destruction factions but in practice you know if if a unit is a unit of slaves who are fighting to some extent without their consent then who says they can't put them over the, the edge and have you being able to choose hobgrots as a troops choice in your chaos force well there was nothing stopping them having the same war scroll twice one called uh cruel boy hobgrots one called zarvixa or whatever it is hobgrots and one having the destruction keyword and one having the chaos keyword and then being in both army books they, there is literally nothing stopping them from doing that but i wonder my personal instinct is that the aesthetic and then the thematic connection is the only connection that you're going to get and on the tabletop they're going to have no shortage of chaos dwarfs for you to buy and field Still, it'll give people in our forum an awful lot to play with in terms of if there was a lot of new Hobgrots coming out and then later on in a year or so, a lot of new Chaos Dwarfs coming out, it gives the people in the forum a lot to play with in terms of creating new armies for, for systems that would allow you to take a Chaos Dwarf Hobgrot alliance. So really what we're saying is I'm not going to be able to stop buying miniatures anytime soon. That's not going to happen anyway, mate. You sold your soul the moment you got involved in, uh, in Games Workshop, Hobby. <laughs> Nightmare. Any, anything else we want to talk about cruel boys related does anyone want to talk about any of the other stuff in the range that they saw maybe is interesting maybe for conversion yeah absolutely i'd like to talk about the actual cruel boys themselves the uh the orcs that 
is maybe slightly off topic on a Chaos Dwarf um, podcast, but not completely because our faction uh, enslaves orcs and uses orcs. So these models may well still be of interest to to collectors of Chaos Dwarfs. Now, I my expectations going into this uh, release were rock bottom. I had I had no real expectations of, of what I was or wasn't going to see or how excited I was for it or anything like that, as I say. I feel like I've been bitten a couple of times with Age of Sigmar releases, but um, I was so, so impressed with the green skin range here. We've already talked about the Hobgrots and I like them a lot, but these new orcs as well have just absolutely wowed me. I'm really, really into them. Um, and in terms of uh, old school Warhammer fans, I might be in a minority here because from one perspective, these are very, very Age of Sigmar models. They're poses and all that kind of but these, to me, are what I consider real orcs. Now, uh, I'm actually going to share. I'm going to share the link to the uh, to the the blog that I shared to you guys about a week ago um, underneath this podcast. The campaign for real orcs. Now, this is a uh, <laughs> this is a blog I read. A friend of mine sent it to me uh, a couple of years ago when I was first moaning about orcs. And he said this this guy. I think he's a teacher, and he was doing a Dungeons and Dragons club or a Warhammer club or whatever. And uh, he said to these kids, right, there are these orcs. And these kids uh, didn't know what orcs were. So he jumped on uh, Google Images and searched orcs. And he was utterly, utterly shocked and horrified by what came up. Because what came up were World of Warcraft orcs, Dungeons and Dragons half-orc paladins, and all these other kinds of orcs that were... Noble savages. Noble savages, Klingons, green Klingons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and we're talking about we're talking about next gen Klingons as well, not original series Klingons who were assholes. No, 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 absolutely next gen Klingons, the noble savage, the the honourable warrior, that whole stereotype of, of things, and to a large extent, the Ard boys in Age of Sigma have gone down this route. We've lost some of the comedy of the orcs. And we've been left with just the kind of the martial, serious, big, strong orc image. Um, now, the campaign for real orcs is a bit of a joke campaign, but it's got a real message where it's just talking about how in Tolkien's fantasy and early Dungeons Dragons and early Warhammer, orcs are the lowest of the low. They are scum. They are backstabbing, sneaky nasty, self-serving, vindictive, vicious little creatures. Creatures who, who like violence, who like fighting, but only when the odds are in their favour, because they're utter cowards as well. You catch one of these things on their own and they're outnumbered, they'll peg it, but they'll go and get their mates and they'll find you on your own and they'll beat you up for fun. Like, in my mind, orcs have always, and maybe, maybe it's the Tolkien influence more than anything, they have always been the... Um, the ubiquitous uh, henchman for greater evil. You've got some nasty wizard somewhere. You've got some dark lord somewhere. You've got some greater evil somewhere. These are the little scumbags he sends out to do his bidding. Now, as controversial as it might be, the Warhammer fantasy orc, for me, hasn't really done that for me for a long time. Orcs are over, over the years have kind of evolved into hulking great green gorillas of creatures. Now, in Warhammer 40,000, I actually quite like that aesthetic. The big Mad Max kitted out, giant green gorillas in space, they look like aliens, it works. But in fantasy, I always felt like we were missing that kind of nasty, skulking little orc. And I feel like we've got that here. These things are, 
are kind of lanky and thin and and they look vicious their weapons look like they are not just designed to kill they're designed to hurt and i've also posted up guys and i'll, and I'll post this on the youtube video as well um a copy of one of the very old ravening hordes books for warhammer and a copy of uh, the very old warhammer armies books now i'm not sure if these are orcs or hobgoblins being betrayed here i think they're orcs i'm not sure but have a look at them and I do feel like these new models have somewhat recaptured that earlier spirit of Orcs. I've, I've blabbered on a lot there for a love letter for these new models. Do you guys want to tell me why I'm wrong now? So here's the thing. First of all, just for cultural reference, especially for those not from the UK, the campaign for real Orcs is a pun on the campaign for real ale, which was like a pressure group that wanted less manufactured beer in the UK and was very famous on that basis. Um, but look, I think you're spot on, Oxy, right? Because the thing that has been missing from orcs for a long time is that orcs ceased to be the nastiest people in the setting. Because in Tolkien, orcs are the nastiest thing that you can encounter, right? Other than like a giant spider that wants to eat you. Whereas in GW's works, originally orcs were the main villain of a lot of the stories that they told. But then over time, they realized this was all about humans and it was all about chaos and the corrupting influence on man. And, and chaos became the nastiest thing that could happen to you that went bump in the night. And the orcs were just like football hooligans from the 1980s chanting, here we go, here we go, here we go. And there was something wholesome about the fact that they liked fighting and they wanted a fight. Whereas these guys in the, in the form of the cruel boys, they don't want to get up close to you unless they have to. They'll shiv you. They'll throw a grenade at you. They will hurt you. Their weapons are designed to cause pain. That is a real reassertion of why you don't want to encounter an orc. Because they are vile creatures, again, for the first time. There's nothing enjoyable, you know what I mean? It doesn't look like the cruel boys get on with each other, let alone um, enjoy fighting. They're here to do damage. And that's what you see on that Warhammer Armies book with the evil red eyes and all that kind of stuff. Those are the big bad villains of that story that you're looking at. And orcs haven't had that resonance for a long time, but I feel like they're finally getting it back. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> In that case, are we all going to buy the bolt thrower, which has giant log-sized spears on it? Because I definitely am. It's going to be a hobgoblin bolt thrower of the old school. It'll sit right next to my 1993 one. I want the infantry, right? I want the Hobgrots en masse. I want the Cruel Boys en masse. The, the, the Bolt Thrower, I'm not sold on yet. And the Crossbowman, I'm not sold on yet. But I know that in my square-based uh, Norskan Cows to Wolf army, those Hobgrots have a place. Now, I can see Reaver's point. With his army, those hand grenades are going to fit beautifully. With my army, I think a second knife or a little shield might fit a little bit better for them. But um, the Cruel Boys, I think, are going to be very cool um, orc uh, slaves as well for mine. They're going to be skinnier than most people's orcs, and they're kind of wearing rags and stuff already. So that's what I'm going to be getting, I think. Any other last thoughts about the range, what we think of it, what we feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I don't see myself... Uh... I don't think I'll get the Dominion box. Uh, the miniature that uh, <laughs> I like the best is the tiny little... Uh, He's a gladiator, isn't he? He looks like a little gladiator. Yeah, you know, Almost like a snotling dude with a full plate helmet with some nice teeth, teeth and a visor. Um, yeah, 
it's that's such a fun little model i could sneak that in to pretty much anything um yeah unit of uh he, he could fall into place pretty much anywhere so i i like that model but i don't think it's enough to really pull me in any direction on these guys um one thing i would say is if they do come out with for example like uh what is it uh, oh underworlds they come out with an underworlds box of like four or five of these guys that's a that's a level that i would definitely uh engage with this faction i think in terms of it was a little combination of some cruel boys and uh you know maybe a hobgrot and one of these little snotling dudes that'd be best case um that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun i i i do like how they look um yeah completely agree with your comments on the aesthetic the the banner dude especially kind of that so much cruelty right there in, in one one model he's got a very uh, azog looking face um yeah there's lots of cool stuff in here i don't uh yeah barring me getting into aos probably probably won't go for them holistically mm. but there's some, there's some fun well, little pieces in there for sure and and the tolkien reference is is worth meditating on for a second right because these orcs are definitely the post shadow of Ord mordor orcs and if you guys haven't played shadow of mordor it's basically a lord of the rings set action rpg game where you the the, the orcs are the star of the show and they are the classic orcs that Oxy is describing. They are sniveling, cowardly, sadistic. They have those Lord of the Rings orcs aesthetics. And that's why I think you're seeing with the Cruel Boys different physical proportions. I think you're also seeing some Lord of the Rings influence coming through in the helmets, the spikes, the the role that spiky helmets are playing. But then most importantly of all, the war boss for these guys is on a wag. And I don't care what they're going to call it. It's a classic Lord of the Rings wag. Yeah, absolutely. It's another thing that's probably a, a massive faux pas to Warhammer fans, but um, in my head, orcs ride giant wolves. They don't ride pigs. And I don't get me wrong, I like those old armies. Uh, I've got the Sixth Edition war, uh, rule book behind me, and there are some gorgeous images of fully painted, beefy orcs riding pigs and stuff. It's cool. But in my head, Canon, if I was creating a universe, orcs would ride giant wolves. They're just nastier creatures, and I think it, it makes more sense. Yeah, what you said about the helmets was spot on too. I mean, uh, probably one of my least favorite units in the box, but the uh, giant arbalest, um, cruel boys. The helmets that they have are very, uh, yeah, very reminiscent of kind of Tolkieny, Tolkieny orcs. Uh, I, I really like the helmets and heads on those actually, so I'd be interested to see what that kit looks like. But um, I could see them being very integral, unfortunately. But those are some cool helmets for sure. They look very malicious. Um, yeah, not into the unit as a whole, but uh, there's there's cool parts of it. The shields, how do we feel about the shields? Because for me, the shields are, are a real... If, if we're talking about how this is a bunch of Tolkien... Orcs, it's old hammer. The shields make this instantly Games Workshop, don't they? Because that... <clears throat> absolutely, it's that red leering face. I think it's called the Evil Sun in 40k. I don't know if it's called the same thing in fantasy. It used to be on the side of paint pots and spray cans, didn't it? Yeah, they... Um, that's, that's classic old hammer. They've just published a Warhammer community article that goes into the aesthetic a little bit more detail and shows some of the old hammer evil sun stuff that inspired it directly. And I, I do think that it, it was something that was sad that it was dropped from the aesthetic. And I am glad that it's back just because the way that GW is mortgaging some of the old IP is really positive unless you're a high elves player. Um, and in that context, these shields, I wouldn't be surprised Oxy, honestly, if you get your hands on the green skin half of the Dominion box, which I know is your plan, 
I wouldn't be surprised if those shields look good on your hobgoblins in place of those grenades. They're a bit big. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought was, they are quite big, but I can see them being used on lots and lots of different things. And um, yeah, I think for personal use and personal use only, the blue stuff and the green stuff might be coming out there, cheers. Um, speak, speaking of which, um, fans of, of my economic situation will be aware that I am currently resisting the urge to buy the Dominion box solely to get the Hobgoblins and the two Grots. And I think, Reva, you're in the same boat with me of like loving that little Gladiator Grot so much that you're like almost a bit like, could I make use of the rest of the box? And the answer is no. Yeah, no, that, that's gone through my head, certainly. I'm going to have to wait and it's going to take ages and I may not be able to get him. But as you were implying, Oxy, I'm sure that I'll be able to find someone who is willing to sell me the tiny gladiator grot on its own eventually in the fullness of time. Yeah. There's always ways, always ways around this thing. Yeah. Even if it is having to, God forbid, deal with an evil eBay scalper, there are better options for that. Hopefully not that one, but there will always be a way to find a single model. Speaking of which, I've almost sold out of my Dogs of War on eBay. So if you want Leopold's Leopard Company, get on eBay now. They're the lowest price. Oh, well, nice one. Nice one. There you go. Right. Um, cool. Oh, I think is that just about everything we had planned to talk about with Dominion there, gentlemen? Absolutely. Mm, nice one. So I think we're going to be moving on very, very swiftly to um, a completely different uh, subject. Kadai Fireborn. Now, Kadai Fireborn were not a uh, model that was represented in the law or the miniature range when uh, Chaos Dwarfs were about in the 80s. They weren't um, in the law or the model range when Chaos Dwarf big hats were given to us in the 1990s. This is very much a 2000s part of. Uh, of the Chaos Dwarf range that came out with um, the Forge World release. Now, I'm not completely, completely up to scratch in my lore on this. Um, Chits, you might be a better person to talk about this because you tend to know the ins and outs of things with all things Chaos Dwarf in terms of lore and background. Um, would you maybe be able to tell us a little bit about what exactly a Kadai is? Because I believe I know in broad strokes, but you might know in a bit more detail. Absolutely. So Kadai Fireborn are not part of the original 90s um, concept, right? Because the original 90s concept was a pretty straight down the line army. It didn't feature demons. You may remember in Warhammer Fantasy Battle back in those days, unless you were fielding demons as an army, which you couldn't at first, demons had to be summoned onto the board, um, which was quite difficult. Um, and as a result, that was a game mechanic that was confined to only a few factions. So Kadai Fireborn come to us in Tamakan, the Throne of Chaos, which is the supplement that launches the Legion of Asgore range. Um, and in that context, it's super simple. Basically, um, priests of Hashat enslave demons they summon by binding them into weapons, armor, war machines, constructs, harnessing and controlling the demons so that they have a clear physical form that is permanent, right? Because otherwise, if you summon a demon on its own, it starts to degrade the longer it spends time in reality. This is why Kadai Fireborn are defined by essentially being suits of armor 
possessed by molten metal and fire and often trailing chains and other motifs of hashut and then obviously that armor and chains you know gets warped by the demonic presence they grow claws but the claws are made of molten steel it's that kind of thing right so Kadai are supposed to be almost mindless elemental forces of destruction um and they have a very distinctive visual aspect that combines fire and flame with armor and metal. You talking about the binding of demons there being put to work in different places just makes me think, you know, the Kadai think they're having a tough time. Imagine being uh, the poor one who's been summoned and turned into an arse cannon. It can always be worse, can't it? It can always be worse. It makes me think it could be like a little um, Flintstone style cutaway, you know, where the Kadai is moaning about it and then it turns around to the arse cannon and it's like, yeah, and I thought my job was a pain in the ass, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I, there is no law background or provenance for an arse cannon, so it's not 100% clear how you make one, and I do not intend to address that in any of my fiction, <laughs> so answers on a postcard through to the off-topic, please, gentlemen. Badly behaved could I. That's the punishment they get. So, for the listeners at home, we'll, we'll put up on screen what um, what the Kadai looks like on the old Forge World range. And for those of you who can't see on screen, if you imagine any kind of thoughts of what a fire or lava elemental from other properties like Dungeons & Dragons and stuff, if you're thinking along those lines, you're thinking of something similar. Imagine a, a fire elemental with a suit of armor, fire elemental with kind of chest and head armor with kind of fiery hands and claws sort of coming out. Now, we were prepared to talk about Kadai today because it's one of those models that with the uh, Forge World range now gone, we'd like to discuss really what can people do to get Kadai in their lives? Um, I mean, you can always get the uh, second hand, you can get, you can get the old, uh, the old Kadai Five One, definitely. Uh, but we'd be interested if there are conversion ideas, or if uh, if there are other companies that are selling things. Um, I've found a few companies that sell models that really work with this. Uh, Michael, I think you've found some cool three uh, D files that people can download and print. And really, you've created some Kadai Five One for your um, your army. Uh, do you want to talk us to us a little bit about how you went about that? And we can flash up for those who are on YouTube. We can flash up on screen Reaver's models while he discusses this. Sure thing, yeah, and, and and one thing you mentioned earlier in, in our last conversation that uh, kind of rings into this conversation a bit, for me at least, and, and talking about the Chaos Dwarfs as something aligned with Chaos, and, and, and to me, uh, as a departure from the regular Dwarfs, it's the, the magic and kind of these unfettered demon-binding operations that they, they go about. That That's what brings Chaos Dwarfs into, say, at least close to the realm of Chaos. Uh, as opposed to you know thinking about the the function of their society and other aspects that are still very uh you know organized but to, to me something that you know i wanted to have in an army and something that i feel like if uh my reavers were pulling up to a shore they would just be like all right let's just release this enfilade to get things started and uh and i think and i, th I think that really brings brings the chaos into into this faction so it's definitely something that uh I wanted to include and and to be honest i was never fully uh anticipating owning any forge world models uh, i i do like them per se uh i mean 
there's just such a wealth and, and we'll, we'll get into this, but uh, a wealth of conversion opportunities, scratch builds, uh, other lines of miniatures that you can directly pull from. Uh, so I was never really uh, hell bent on getting the, you know, actual portrait models, but uh, well, happenstance and, uh, and uh, good fortune of getting a, a used set of six um, and they come in a set of three. So, uh, and they have, a decent amount of variability but not 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 over much there's only three heads uh so definitely wanted to take those and make something make something distinct and uh since they only have so many different poses and and uh and the the flame patterns are a little distinctive so wanted to put some effort into making uh, distinctive weapons and uh and creating my own heads or converting the heads for the remainder um so i only use the classic heads once but so kind of started with that. Most of the, the extra bits uh, were robbed from uh, various Chaos Warriors sets, I believe, chains and uh, kind of flails from uh, one of the chariots, I believe, in the Chaos range. Uh, some other bits taken from that. And, and a little bit pulled in from, uh, from Fire Slayer's bits, actually. So there's some, some of those poking in as well. But for the most part, they're pretty much right from forge world with some with some swaps and some and some heads and one of uh fugit's nice hats so uh yeah couldn't resist the the man burner i believe it's the man burner the the unit leader uh could be wrong on that might be thinking of a fan army book but yeah wanted to give him the nice hat and make him a little distinctive but uh anyway it's just they're a fun unit there there's definitely plenty of other options um and some of the ones that you know, when I was coming into Chaos Dwarfs, that I'd seen the most would be uh, would be Chubb's blog and, and the various ways that he's gone and tackled uh, Fireborn, or more so just in general this idea of uh, you know this forty millimeter base sized golem that is in some way demonically possessed, and he's tackled it in a ton of different ways, um, and even some I believe at uh, at his at his smaller scale. I could be wrong on that, but. A lot of great inspiration, and I'm sure we'll provide a link to that uh, so everybody can go take a look. Um, and they're ranging all from taking, you know, more minotaur kits and uh, embellishing with green stuff to make them look more like lava um, to something more scratch built from, uh, I guess it's uh, like clump foliage, I guess would be how I would describe it. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody has a better uh, word for that or what it might be called. Uh, elsewhere but i would see that as more like a sponge kind of thing where you can apply super glue and and, and a lot of people use that for uh firing plumes from barrels is that right mm -hmm. and uh see people doing that a lot and, and and i think chubb had even done a destroyer sized model with uh the classic uh you know thumbtack hat kind of deal so uh there's lots of different ways uh to accomplish this and i think that really speaks to the variety of the unit and you know we'll have a bunch of pictures here and there's really no two that are uh very alike and there's certainly themes that go through it but uh and, and i agree with what uh which kind of what i've heard people say in terms of like it, it being a relatively uninspiring if you're just looking at like your classic D D style um you know fire elemental but uh, i think there's lots of fun directions that people have taken this and kind of speaks to uh kind of an open format and i guess that's kind of why i enjoyed the unit yeah yeah i, I get what you mean they are definitely they're, they're open to interpretation aren't they it's a fire demon or a demon in the form of fire that's been enslaved and you can go 
directly like that. Now, one of my main criticisms of the uh, the Forge World designs in the past has been they kind of lacked a personality as such. They kind of just they, they didn't really inspire me. But what I really like about yours is the addition of this champion who is absolutely oozing in uh, in personality where you've given him like a Chaos Dwarf style big hat. And you've even created like a beard style thing using chains all around him, reposing him so he's holding that great big halberd up in the air and stuff. So that, I really like what you've done with that, Reva, because you, you've, you've in, injected a lot of personality into a, a model which is, is, it could, if not done correctly, be quite dull but you've made it very exciting and very interesting you've made it very alive i like that thanks yeah i mean he's the most divergent obviously from uh you know the classic forge world one put the most work into that but yeah i mean that was definitely one of the goals was got got to sneak a beard in here somehow you know chains is a huge motif on on kadai in general so it's like chain beard uh the hat had to happen um and uh and I actually tried to sneak in a tiny mustache as well in terms of the uh, on the helmet, make it a little ornate. Yeah, it's not, it's not incredibly explicit. You could also kind of interpret it as horns, but uh, depends. I hadn't picked up on it, but now I'm looking at it. I can see that. Yeah, nice. No, great stuff. It's great stuff. And as you say about um, about uh, stuff that Chubb's done before, he's he always thinks outside the box of his conversions, doesn't he? And the ones that really inspire me, are his small scale ones that are kind of like lava rock elemental things which take the place of Kadai. he's created them just using blocks hasn't he yeah i believe so um yeah they look fantastic they you know and i think that they, they have great personality to it he's created a, a palanquin version as well as a what looks like could be like an altar of a shit kind of deal um but yeah you know with the these kind of blocky bull horns i, I feel like they really uh yeah, if if I were to go for for that scale, I'd certainly be trying to replicate something like that because they really they really work. I think that you know I've seen people do um, some interesting things just using sprues and stuff before. You know, it, it opens up possibilities for even using waste products from your hobby, turning them into something quite artistic. Yeah, off topic, but that's uh, certainly uh, something I've enjoyed doing in the past. I made a. Uh, obsidian golems for for the tomb kings in the past uh, and mostly sprue and leftover bits uh, but about 80 percent sprue glued onto a wireframe can be a really fun project uh kind of sequestered myself without any any real bits and just set to carving up sprue forces creativity and it also it makes you feel like you're winning this is waste material that would have gone into the bin i've just turned it into a unit for my army i've won <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the last thing here uh, that that I wanted to bring up um, on Admiralty miniatures on the Etsy page, the uh, the storm demons or shadow demons. And, and I feel like uh, and, and I kind of have have pulled from that inspiration in, in other aspects, uh, that last um, golden hat competition. And, uh, and one of my other sorcerers who kind of weaves ash magic. But this is another whole way you could spin um, this this general idea of, you know, demons that are you know bound in service of a sorcerer this kind of uh shadow ash or storm demon i feel like that could very much you know fall right into somebody's castor army very easily definitely um i've got a couple of things uh prepared to talk about which um are more com commercially available uh models right now 
people might be able to use to create some kind of came up with is a model that comes from the Fire Slayer's Endless Spells uh, for Age of Sigma. Um, I don't actually know the name of this spell. It's, it's called the Molten Infernoth, because of course it is. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't it be called a Molten Infernoth? Bloody hell, Age of Sigma. One, right. one, of, the, um... one of three magmic invocations, right? Yeah, All right, not so even Endless Spells. Not even Endless Spells, magmic invocations. You know what? Yeah. It's like, it's like they swallow a thesaurus when they come out with these. It's up on the screen now, though. So for those of you who don't know, one of their Ender spells is like a giant magma demon dragon thing uh, pulling itself out of the ground, uh, covered in spikes. And uh, it's completely made out of lava or molten metal. Or and I think it could work really well in a Chaos Dwarf army as a fire demon. It's probably one of the better models from... Games Workshop range in terms of fulfilling that role right now. Only thing about this model that one might struggle with is this is the only model of its kind in the game. If you want to get extra poses out of that to create a unit of things out of this, you're going to have quite a tough time in order to do it. That's the only thing I can see with that. If you wanted a single demon, I think the Fire Slayer Ender spells could work quite well. Now. If people are interested in getting a kind of generic fire elemental model, the uh, the options are much much wider because games like Dungeons and Dragons have meant that you know people have been wanting to buy these miniatures for an awful long time, so that they are very available. Uh, Reaper miniatures, for example, does does a large fire elemental which would fit the uh, fit the bill for a Kadai completely. It's uh, a giant fire demon. With arms and head. The only thing it's lacking is armor, but you know, it can still definitely work as a very suitable proxy. But again, the problem with relying on models from a, an RPG range is similar to this Games Workshop model, in that in an RPG you might summon one fire elemental or come up against one fire elemental. Very rarely are you going to come up against six fire elementals, all in different poses. So these companies very rarely will sell multiple poses of the same thing and the problem i find with fire is you can feasibly have six soldiers all standing in a rank and looking basically the same but having six fires all in a rank looking the same that rep that repetitive flame motif is going to really show and you're going to see that repetition and your brain's going to say there's something not quite right with that um however Mantic Games, interestingly, um, does in their, and it's not in their Abyssal Dwarf range, it's in their uh, Forces of Nature range, do sell fire elementals and they come in three different poses. They're very, very similar to a Dungeons and Dragons fire elemental. They're almost like a Casper the Friendly Ghost shaped with a little tail, hands, and a head. Uh, so, using those models, you could get at least three different poses of 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 Kadai in into your army uh, it's 20 quid for free as well so yeah, it's, it's not super cheap but it's not super expensive as well it's quite affordable really uh and they do have uh, a model which i think probably fits to cast wolf aesthetic a bit more and could maybe work well as a champion for a unit of these which is their greater fire elemental which to me looks a bit more fitting with our Chaos Dwarf aesthetic. It's a 
kind of flame ghost once again, but this time it's a flame ghost with kind of spiky pieces of obsidian kind of jutting out of its shoulders and hands that end in claws made out of rock as well. Now, I think uh, Chits a little while ago said that something that Mantic Games also brought to the uh, Chaos Dwarf range, which we didn't really have before, was the motif of fire and rock and lava, that sort of idea. You know, the old big hats were often just shown on Goblin Green bases as, were, as things were in those days. It wasn't until much later on that Mantic Games started showing us to kind of fire demons and rock demons, lava being a big part of what makes an evil dwarf an evil dwarf. So they do have in the Abyssal Dwarf range, I suppose a close a close um, fit for Kadaya. Not exactly the same. These are um, obsidian golems. Now, these creatures are portrayed as being made out of rock, with kind of burning veins of lava between the cracks. But in terms of being suits of armor with demons inhabiting them, they absolutely fit the bill. Now, these things look a lot more like kind of hulking monsters of rock and metal, great big fists. But I'm actually, uh, I'm quite into these models. I think they're really quite cool. The only issue I can see with them again might be the issue of uh, repetitiveness, where it looks like there are three heads available and two poses available. So if you've got any more than three of these in a unit, you're going to start seeing the repeated poses. This is something I notice quite a lot with Mantic Games is larger models. They're kind of ogre-sized or greater models, is that they often have really nice sculpts, but not an awful lot of them. You know, they'll have two different ICETs, but when you've got a unit of 20 of those, you see that same model repeated an awful lot. But they do have some other ones as well. They have the greater uh, Obsidian Golem, which is the exact same idea, just on a bigger scale. Now, the Obsidian Golem's cool. It's a giant rock fire demon thing. It has great big uh, metal shoulder pads, a metal helmet, very chaosy. It's got big black rocks and spikes coming out of its back. I would argue, however, um, it does veer a little bit more than the smaller ones into a bit of a cartoony sort of area. So the, the Abyssal Greater Obsidian Golem is a cool model, but if you're going for a very grim dark, a very grim dark aesthetic, this might not fit as well. It, it almost has a bit of a Skylanders sort of look. I think if this thing was standing next to uh, 1990s big hats and all their cartoonish glory, it could work really quite well. Standing next to Legion of Asgore, it might not work quite as well, just doing a little bit too cartoony for, for, that, for that range in particular. Um, they, they have their, uh, um, they have another version of this model for their Vanguard system, their kind of, uh, their skirmish game, however, which really, really fits the bill as far as uh, a Chaos Dwarf magma fire demon goes. It's less cartoony than the previous one I spoke about, the one that they use in Vanguard, um, is much more chaosy. It's got a great big metal horned helmet. It's got kind of lava pouring out of its feet. It looks nasty. It looks angry. And one of its hands ends in a giant lava gun, which is so chaos to warp. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, another, another game company that has recently um, been creating models that 
could fit the bill for a Kadai Fireborn is TT Combat. So yeah, this next one I was going to talk about was um, from Troll Trader, from TT Combat. Now you might know Troll Trader from, from eBay. Um, He's been around for a long time, selling second-hand miniatures. Then branched out into doing uh, TT Combat Scenery. Uh, really affordable MDF stuff. A couple of mates have used it for more time. And for Necromunda, I can fully recommend it. And more recently, been doing miniatures as well. Haven't actually bought the miniatures, so you can't attest to their quality, but the pictures look quite nice. So what we have here are Fire Elementals from TT Combat. And it's interesting. Often, fire elementals are shown as being kind of ghosts. They have kind of like a wispy end to their body, a bit like a genie or something like that. Whereas two out of three sculpts here have explicitly been given legs and they're walking forward. And there are rocks jutting out from these, um, from these uh, fire elementals to kind of take the place of hands or shoulders or a head here and there. And all three of them look very individual, which is really quite nice. Um, and I, I, I'm quite a fan of these models. I really, really am. But this can be the same criticism that I've had for essentially every range of fire elementals I've looked at. And this does include the Forge World range as well. It's a very hard model, fire creatures, to get right when you are having a rank of six of them, for example, because the repetition is always just so obvious. You know, once you've got once you've seen those three sculpts, once you've seen those three positions, and then when you have six or nine or 12 of these, and you see it over and over again, with something that's not made out of fire, that can work. Monsters can be standing in the same position, but flames can't be standing in the same position. Um, so it's a very hard one to get right. I suppose one could, depending on how scale works on these, use different ranges and mash them together. A lot of these fire elementals are generic enough that they would work together in units as all being different. And scale isn't so much of a consideration when what you're dealing with is some kind of spirit or demon. It doesn't particularly matter too much. Um, I think they were the main ones that I found on my on my travels across across the internet actually. Um, who else has got some? Michael, have, have you managed to find any Kadai Fireborn proxies in your in your ever expanding library of STLs. I did. Um, well, to be honest, I I figured it was Kadai in general, so I didn't really uh, get Fireborn specifically. So there's also some proxies that I would have used for uh, for destroyers more specifically but that works as well yeah yeah i i assume that since um for example as mentioned before chubs proxies they are they, they go all over the place and that works fine so why wouldn't these um the first one i wanted to discuss are some titan forge miniatures um a while ago maybe a year ago or something uh they released the sons of kashan vra Dwarfs, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and they are, um, well, somewhat, they're, they're not specifically Chaos Dwarfy, but they are very mechanical. They, you know, they use a lot of bolted armor and, and stuff like that. Um, and they had some interesting models. Um, a lot of those ended up in my arms, like the, the, the Blunderbuss units. It's from the same range. Um, but they also had some uh, bigger models, which in my head didn't really fit. I felt that they did 
they, they uh, hunching i mean chaos dwarf with his head more between his shoulders than like standing uh the ones i sent are i forgot what they're called but they're um and you have two options one with a sort of forged head helmet they don't have a lot of flames specifically you know there are some rocks sprouting out of rock or something they could just be from one of one of their factories and and be well you know fit pretty well in an army um and taking that that bridge from what i said earlier about fitting with older armies the, the next one is from the same range um i forgot their name but they are a little bit smaller than the 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 golems i just shown um but the same principle applies and they funnily enough have the same chain beards as as reavers model so that's i didn't see that before but that's a funny coincidence um but the same rules apply here they're they're mechanical well suits of armor um more or less well i i, I wouldn't i don't i don't see them as suits of armor because they have uh, mechanical joints but i could see this being a possessed animated suit of armor with some added flames here and there that could work beautifully um and then finally from the last model from that range is the one that we saw in the last painting in the golden ha uh, golden hats competition uh heavily converted though but i forgot who made it maybe you can you guys can help me out um paint this i believe yeah well it's the base model you're seeing here um and i don't really have to explain why this would work very well as a, a destroyer or even maybe a fireborn um but the same well the same problems you mentioned with with buying them arise here as well and that's there are only uh, maybe two or three positions that you can get them in now with, with digital files you have the freedom to add or modify them yourself or even be lazy and just mirror them so you can like you know slightly alter them and, and maybe mirror them on their x-axis while giving you two poses for very little effort um but yeah i find these i like him but they don't fit in my grimdark army um per se cool i, I um I, I was just want to mention about the fact that these these ones you said here these kind of robotic i would say looking ones right there might only be two poses of them and the head's a separate part i believe because you can you could have the helmeted one twice or the skull one twice so you get a little bit there but if the robot dwarf, the robot Kodais are repeated, that doesn't mess with my brain that much because it's still quite a feasible thing that all these machines would have been created in the same forge and would look the same. In in that the same way that the um, repeated fire being the exact same shape does. So I actually think that these ones, although I know what you mean, it would have been lovely to have more poses of them. I do think that these models being repeated in a unit would work better than some of the ones that I showed made out of fire being repeated. In a unit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would really like to see somebody uh, lean into that issue and have uh, a unit of six or nine or whatever fireborn and have uh, no similar models have them all cherry picked from a handful of different places. I think that'd be really interesting to see and just just lean into it. Yeah, definitely. You know, these chaos dwarfs are going around experimenting, just throwing whatever demon they can. Maybe these certain 
demons would be bound into these suits of armor necessarily or other ones are just kind of this raging fire elemental they're just barely managing to to contain within you know uh, a helmet <laughs> so you could run with this a lot of different ways and it'd be interesting to see if uh you know somebody pulls off uh you know aesthetically reasonable looking unit of just completely cherry-picked models well in my head canon anyway the 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 demon should influence the end result so assuming that there are many fire demons available i would assume that you know they build some contraption to contain the demon but the demon's properties decide where it can be bound in and what kind of armor or stuff like that so i wouldn't really even mind seeing a kadai unit with completely different scopes and completely different sizes and models as long as the paint job binds it all together into a unit Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely could be done. Uh, can, unless somebody has something else to add to that, I'd like to continue with uh, the Lost Kingdom uh, Devastator. Um, no, Absolutely, this... Michael. It wouldn't be a podcast if you weren't bigging up Lost Kingdom miniatures. Well, obviously. <laughs> um, this one was part of the Kickstarter, as is many of the stuff I own. Um, and well, this would not be a fireborn for me. This this can only be a, a destroyer because it's just absolutely massive and and imposing. But I really love this model, and it's absolutely on my to print list. Well, as soon as my to paint list shrinks a little bit, um, whenever that might happen. But I, I like this. I'm not gonna linger too long on this one because we've all seen it. But it's 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 really detailed as is everything they make. Um, and I forgot, I have a second Lost Kingdom model. <laughs> where I'm not going to stick too long at this one too, because we discussed this in all colors and, and smells in the previous podcast. But as I mentioned before, I think if you remove all the guns and the, and the chains of the uh, magma, what's it named? Magma walker, magma thing, whatever. I think this would be a very, very well-looking demon magma stony golem looking thing this would be a perfect destroyer for me and it's probably going to be printed like that in a far future um but yeah only two from lost kingdom disc this uh, time hey, hey michael before we before we run away from lost kingdom they also have those uh the magma horn golems uh that i think i posted as well and uh yeah, just while we're on that subject, I actually think, and, and now that I'm seeing these kind of all together, um, I'd be interested to see what, what base that uh, Magma Horan Magma Launcher piloted by a dude that we discussed a lot. Um, I'd be interested to see how that could live as some unit filler in a unit that contains the Lost Kingdom Magma Horan Golems, which have three very awesome poses. I'm not sure uh, if you've dug into those models a little bit, but they almost look like they have just these... Uh, kind of what uh, Jack was discussing earlier with the the TT models, uh, just large fists of rock bound to the ends of their hands uh, with various kind of spikes. Uh, but they have kind of the bullhead aesthetic similar to the Lost Kingdom uh, destroyer, devastator, um, little magma running out, uh, out from their mouth. But I, I think those models are uh, certainly on my list. Um, I actually already did... Uh, grab those files um if i were to go for a second unit of kadai i think i'd probably start with these and then maybe try and uh mm. flesh that unit out now that i'm seeing it 
I'd be interested to see what what base size could get that um, the magma launcher to live on, as it has a very similar look to it with the rocks at the ends of its legs, and could potentially, you know, serve as a unit filler instead of a uh, standalone destroyer. Although I'm sure it would service as either. So you post that picture, and for a second I was like, "Stay in your lane, Weaver." <laughs> but um, on the other hand. Because you posted the picture, I completely forgot to, to add it to my list. Um, yeah, they would work really well, obviously. I, I think that's why they were designed by, by Lost Kingdom. Um, and sadly enough, that's the only um, uh, Patreon release I, I didn't get for some reason. I, I, I just, uh, threw away the subscription, unsubscri unsubscribed from their Patreon for that month. I forgot why. Um, but yeah, I don't have those in my collection. That's the second reason I forgot to make the segue. They are they are well fireborn or, or anyway Kadai's. That's there's no way around those. And good shout, thanks. Um, now I forgot where I was. All right, the art film ones. Um, I got these before I decided to print a Chaos Dwarf army. Um, and. At first, it's the the theme of that release is magma lords. It's I think that's what it's called, and it goes from these demon type things to, well, giants. Actually, I I entered the picture of the giant I printed the the first one, the, the siege giant, the really like the, the giant dwarf. It's also the same release, but the thing I like about these specific models, the fireborn, that's the first one you see from them. It has seven different poses. Now, they're not completely unique because I think there are like uh, three or four different uh, tail sections and then a few different tops. But in the end, if you put them in a unit, they look, they look different enough for it to work for seven units or, or maybe even more because it's, it's quite a large number to build a unit from. And then there's also um, a champion type one who has, who's wielding four swords or something like that. Um, and I immediately like these, they're called fire salamanders, um, but I really, I instantly saw, um, fireborn and the cool part about that is they also have two weapon options. Uh, so you could, you could make two different units with different weapons to make them aesthetically differently. Um, and they, they are nice. They have like these magma firestone tails, which have, um, metal scales embedded in them if that's the right word i didn't include a picture of the ones i painted i forgot um but but they look they work really well in a unit and they fit nicely on a 40 millimeter base so that's a big bonus um and another model that's included in this release is the one that i first picked to be the destroyer in my army um now there's one thing I don't like about these, and that's that they're basically mirrored. Like the front and the back, they have two sets of arms. They have two sets of, uh, well, they can have two sets of legs. They have two heads and stuff like that. It's like basically two models stick together, stuck together. But they do like, if you look at them, it's like a, a hulking suit of armor, like thick plate armor, with flames coming out of them. So that worked really well for me. Um, I had a really hard time painting them, and I'm still looking at them. Uh, they're still on my painting table because they don't feel complete, but they look good enough. I'm not sure what to do with them. 
Um, but I like these, and they have a lot of options because you can give them. I think they had like six or seven different weapons, uh, weapon options for each side of their arm, you know, left and right. Um, different head options, different leg options. Um, really versatile. And if you don't like those, then they also. Um, no, sorry, forgot. I I thought I had another one, but apparently I didn't post it or I didn't have one. Um, so yeah, that's the last destroyer actually. Here's a question for you, Michael, about uh, arch villain in general, and and I wasn't aware of all of the possibility options in, in, that they are including. That's I mean that's awesome to hear. I'm curious as to if that's an artifact of their Patreon releases or if you were to go. Uh, you know, and purchase these as one-offs. For example, these destroyers. Are you purchasing an individual pose in that sense, or are you purchasing uh, uh, the kit I with options? I couldn't give you a definite answer, but I would be very um, well. I'd be surprised if they like make a specific model and sell it like that. I suppose you just buy the kit, but I haven't checked because you know I'm just I'm subscribed to their Patreon and I'm not, not buying any of their separate models the thing with you know the thing with for example lost kingdom they have like teams you know they have a uh, chaos war release they have a lizardman release they have a tomb king release and they rotate these um with arch villain they just pick something and that's what you get you get a whole lot of models you get a whole lot of detail um but mostly it's like a one-off theme you know they have uh, um some deep sea creature like things they had a really cool uh, circus you know i think it was called Cirque du grotesque or something like that you know just uh, uh really aoc circus vibe um they had another one with frost uh, kings like frost giants and stuff like that but they do not really have specific chaos dwarf or or even warhammer army themed stuff it's just basically a lot of beautiful random models um but yeah i'd be surprised if they if they like split up a, a specific model into um one pose and then just sell that if i quickly look at their website um you buy a collection and a collection has multiple poses so i assume you get all of them all of them oh that's awesome just in case anybody's looking to go cherry pick their quality is really really insane i mean it's it's pretty the first mm. time i found them i think it's the one of the first uh patrons i subscribed to even before lost kingdom because they didn't have one yet and i was really impressed with what you get um as i said the only downside is i haven't really had a release that that gave me even part of a Chaos Dwarf or, or, or even a Warhammer army, except for the, the ones I've shown here, because they happen to fit well with the fire team. Um, cherry picking wise, there's a lot of good stuff in there, especially if you go Chaos or Demon of stuff or stuff like that. Um, and even for you, there's a, a the, the trench, it's called Abysmal Depths. I mean, if you ever get a set of them, that should be your first pick uh, with your nautical themed army yeah i've definitely eyed some of them up so that's yeah that's sure. about it actually there's probably a lot more but well <laughs> i don't own those and i don't really know this the ones i don't know so well i've, I've got one extra one to add gentlemen if it's all right because um something that popped into my mind just now um was 
when I was putting together um, this issue of the zine, um, I'm doing an army gallery for um, a relatively newcomer to our forum, um, M to the X, who's got a really, really cool, very unique Chaos Dwarf army that he runs for the ninth page. And for those of you who haven't uh, seen his army, make sure you check it out on the forum. But he has had a very fun and novel and interesting approach to Kodai Fireborn that I think I should probably share with you. So for those of you watching on YouTube, this will be popping up on your screen. Uh, for those of you at home I'm gonna, uh, who are listening at home uh, on audio, I'm going to describe this to you instead. He has taken the approach that Reva was talking about earlier by using some kind of clump foliage or foam or something to create a fire or smoke effect. And he has made these utterly, utterly crazy Kadai, which are Chaos Dwarfs, like actual physical Chaos Dwarfs, without legs. Instead of legs, there are massive, fiery rocket plumes coming out beneath them, like they are rising up into the air like rockets. They are absolutely crazy. And I think he's used the original um, 1990s Blood Bowl team there in order to to uh, create this. So the centaur already didn't have legs, so I didn't need to worry about it. But the, uh, the other cows towards, I suppose their feet are either cut off or somewhere hidden within that. And I just thought it just goes a little way to showing how, um, as always with Chaos Dwarfs Online, um, there's always going to be a creative and novel approach to creating these things that you just never would have thought of, would you? Absolutely would never have thought of doing it this way. I mean, you know, I'm not really picky on, on what you use as a proxy model. You know, I mean, if it's somehow somewhat fits, I'm okay with it. Um, but especially with, with demon type stuff, yeah, you can go either. You can go in so many different directions, and and these again wouldn't fit in my army for one minute. They 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 would clash immensely, but they are really cool to look at, and it's very interesting to to have the concept of a chaos dwarf that's possessed or or or, or something like that. It's, it's an interesting take on the on the concept. A really good use of the blood bowl models as well, and. And there are certain cases trying to use Blood Bowl models where you you might have to make quite substantial adjustments uh, to have a nice looking miniature. But the Blood Bowl poses are spot on for for this use to me. Uh, a lot of them are kind of that looming, like about to tackle you kind of look, uh, and and I think it suits this this idea really well, where these guys are legitimately towering over anything, any infantry sized model, and I think that works really well. Yeah, it's kind of tapping in as well, isn't it? To that genie kind of uh, look, you know, like the gin that uh, but but Loidra, but, but Eddie uh, drew, and similar thing to what you you created for the last competition, Reva, where the idea of chaos dwarf genie is is now becoming something of a, a recurring meme on our forum, and it's interesting, isn't it? This is is a classic thing with chaos dwarfs online. We get no official support for our faction from the company. May, that may be changing in a year or two, who knows, but we get no official support. And so we end up creating our own ideas and his own ideas end up becoming self-replicating before you know it. It's now law, Chaos Dwarfs have genies. <laughs> I wanted to say the best part for me about Chaos Dwarfs is you can basically just take any bit box and, and throw some glue in there and just Create some fluff, and you get a model that would still fit. I mean, you can you can go really crazy 
with whatever you want to make and you can still make it fit within the army fluff wise and the, the fun part is i actually started playing lizardmen for this reason because well not necessarily like get bashing stuff but because you can like go crazy with the color scheme and you can just explain it fluff wise and then i went to skaven because you know they built all these weird stuff and again you can just fluff wise explain why it's so crazy or out there and then i discovered rediscovered chaos Wars, and i seem to have this going threat going team through with my armies where i um always see possibilities to to make stuff i don't make a lot of stuff but i see the possibilities to make crazy stuff that that doesn't really well i, I could never wield it because it's not it doesn't have any rules but Fluff-wise, it would be very easy to incorporate into my army. Definitely. Do you sometimes think, like, the, the lack of support that we've had as a faction over the years has in some ways been an absolute blessing because it has allowed for this creativity to blossom? Like, if you wanted to introduce something crazy to an Empire army, there would be people who have read all the novels and read all the army books and would say to you, I'm really sorry, mate, but that, that doesn't fit. The, the Empire doesn't have that. When, when Demigriff Knights were first brought out uh, towards the end of Warhammer Fantasy Battles life, people went a little bit crazy. It was like, whoa, 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 where have all these Griffin things been if now everyone's all some riding around? Where have they been for the past 30 years of storytelling? Um, <laughs> little did they know Age of Sigma was going to make Demigriff Knights look like the most normal thing on the table. But at the time, they seemed very crazy. But with Chaos Dwarfs, where we haven't had that, we haven't had that support, we can go as crazy and as left field as we like, and people won't really turn around to us and go, that thing doesn't exist in the Darklands. They'll turn around and go, we haven't got a clue what exists in the Darklands. That may well be one of the things that exists out there. Sometimes that, that, there's, there's a sweet spot with fluff that they give you where too much of it really prescribes what you can do on the tabletop and have it exist in there not enough of it can make it uh very hard to come up with any ideas but there's a sweet spot where we have a rough idea of what the society is like a rough idea of what the world they live in is like but most of it is now up to us to be creative and put what we want in there I like that i've got i've got to be honest with you oxy i and this is a bit hipster of me i know but like I do have this feeling that over the course of the next three years, we're going to get blown up pretty massive as a fandom, right? And the forum has always had a kind of pretty tight control on, on the IP, as it were, to be honest. We've been the people who've owned and pushed Chaos Dwarfs over the last 10, 15 years, right? But the combination of Total War Warhammer 3 making the Big Hat range and Asgore, like mainstream video gamers all over the world are going to be messing around with it. They're going to draw the Darklands and divide it up into a map and everything is going to be there and there's going to be a whole unit roster and all of this kind of stuff. Mm. A lot of the like 90s vagary and options and like even Asgore didn't spell out the politics of the Darklands. That Asgore was one army of one outpost right on the edge. And we're going to lose some of that mystery and we're going to lose another angle on it when the AOS range comes out because there'll be tons of people who will buy those minis and many, many, many more new takes will be, you know, happening all over the world. And, like, I'm excited for all those things, 
but there is a small part of me that's also almost a bit sad because I want it to stay obscure so that I can make up my own fortress and nobody can tell me that that fortress isn't real. I get that, mate, and I'm very, very similar. I am both excited for the new blood that will inevitably come in with Total War and the new blood that will inevitably come in with um, any new releases in Age of Sigma. For the new fluff, new lore, new models, that's all got to be positive. Can't be a But yeah, there is that very small hipster part of me that will continue to say shit, so I promise I will continue to say I liked Chaos Dwarfs before they were cool. I mean, Games Workshop should really be thanking us here. We've been uh, their idea incubator for quite some time now, so just watch out for 2024 when we get uh, Chaos Dwarf Genies in AOS. Calling it. Yeah, that's it. We're calling it now. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? I'm I'm not I'm not saying that we are uh, influential enough to 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 um, make. to, to, to make Games Workshop release something or not release something or, or anything like that. But, you know, we are disproportionately, um, I would say disproportionately creative and influential as a forum for the amount of people that are actually involved in it. We are a relatively small forum, but the amount of talent and creativity and ideas that come out of that, you know, I think is is disproportionate. and and. I wouldn't be surprised if if we do see some of those ideas that have come up from our forum in some of these future ideas. Now, some of that will be because a good idea is a good idea and um, other people come up with it um, um, separately. But other things will be things that have just been generally pushed in the kind of zeitgeist of cows to offs by the forum users and by the Facebook users and all that kind of stuff over time. It'd be interesting to see what does and doesn't get really. Now, I'm more thinking total war here. What well, doesn't doesn't get involved in Total War. Because Total War was going to explicitly be in the world that most of us have been putting our cows to wolves in and have been experimenting and playing with. The Age of Sigma one, all bets are off, really, because they will uh, they'll do what they want with that. They may well do a homage to the past. They may well forge a completely new direction. They may well try and do a little bit of both. And I guess that brings us full circle back to just kind of trying to read the tea leaves on the Hobgrots armor and think does this mean something or doesn't it and we're just gonna have to wait and see but isn't it nice that we've got something to wait and see yeah it's been a long time hasn't it it's been a long time since the speculation has been about what's coming next the speculation for the time that i've been involved in cast dwarfs online which hasn't been a very long time i think it's been about four or five years of lurking about three years of actual active involvement about two years maybe not long time but the conversations have been about when are we going to get dropped from Forge World? What's going to go first? What's going to disappear? That's where the conversation will be going. Whereas at least now the conversations are going to be about what's coming next? What are we going to get? What's it going to look like? And for some people, it's going to be, wow, these new things, they're absolutely brilliant and I love them. I'm going to start collecting cows dwarfs all over again. I'll start a second army or add these to my existing army. And that's going to be a brilliant positive thing because it's going to be getting more people involved in this. Um, there will be an element of us who will see it and will go, that's gross. I hate it. I don't want it. Why have they done this to my, my beloved army? But that will also be a positive thing in a way because it will solidify 
what it is you love about your cows dwarfs and it will probably make you even more protective and in love for your cows dwarfs and collect them even harder and paint them even more um in a similar way that you know the old world was was got rid of and that hasn't stopped uh people loving the old world in fact in fact some people have become i think even more entrenched in their love of the old world because it's something they now feel is like an endangered thing all right maybe that's where we should end our story for today yeah and i think actually that's quite a nice point to to go on to um talking about what we're going to be doing next because next we're going to be having uh, an interview um with uh another kind of defender of the old ways someone who, who saw some of the new stuff coming out and was and instead instead of going with that joined a community that has preserved some of the old ways but has also been extremely creative uh, in, in creating new ways to enjoy the old ways now we're talking about the ninth age now for those of you who don't know the ninth age is a a rank and flank uh fantasy game that is community created uh, by a lot of people, not only, but a lot of people who are veterans of the old Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Now, this is not a ninth edition or a fan edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. This is its own game with its own army books and its own systems. Um, but what it is, is it's a game that fills that niche. It fills that niche that has, has, been, has been left by the end of the old world. So it's a square-based rank and flank fantasy game uh, which focuses on balanced play but also on creative fluffy and fun factions a lot of which will resemble fantasy armies and archetypes you know well some of which will be new takes on some of those armies and the guy we're talking to today tyranno has had the the really cool and privileged position to be the leader of a team creating the Hobgoblin army book for Ninth Age. And Chits and myself were lucky enough to sit down with him last week and have a good old chinwag about how this book was created, about what it contains, what it doesn't contain, about how you can get involved in the Ninth Age and, uh, and their community. And we also gave him a couple of cheeky questions about his opinions on the new Hobgoblins come out as well so hopefully you enjoy this but from the main team here today that's all we we have prepared so we'll say goodbye now uh, and then we'll hand you over to last week's interview so catch you later Ta-da. okay hello listeners and uh really really happy to to tell you that we've got tyranno from the forum uh with us here today myself and chitskoy are going to be sitting down and talking to tyranno about some of the uh really cool projects he's been working on lately one of them being the hobgoblin book for the ninth age game so that's something we're really really excited about and something hopefully he's going to be able to uh give us some of the details on and let us know how we can get a hold of this book and how we can get into the uh the ninth age system and the ninth age community as well um hello tyrano how are you mate hello i'm i'm good i'm good how are you yeah not bad not bad i'm enjoying the weather now that it seems to have improved somewhat in this part of the world but uh um generally generally fine yeah I think the saddest thing is, especially all three of us are in the UK, we're no longer going to have an excuse to stay inside and play with our toys because the world's going to be reopened. So we're just going to have to go back to being normal recluses. 
I know, I know. It's going to be a case of instead of having to sit inside and paint my toys on my own, I'm going to have to uh, sit inside and invite my mates over to, to game instead. Either way, I get to shun society just, just the same amount. Right, so... Um, Tyrana, the uh, the thing that we want to talk to you about today was hobgoblins, but let's uh, let's let's start off by talking about about your hobby, mate. I mean, how did you get into Warhammer? When did you get into Warhammer, and how did you get into the kind of the, the miniature collecting, painting, and uh, and gaming sort of hobby? I think I got into it right about the sort of the times that uh, Lord of the Rings was uh, sort of wrapping up. I think uh, Return of either Return of the King or the Two Towers had just come out, and I'd um, been on a holiday um to see sort of it was just some a place that built little um dioramas but um when i got back home i sort of looked around and saw there was a shop that sold those sorts of similar things and it was a games workshop and then i sort of went in there and hilariously i lived 30 seconds away from it there. <laughs> 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 um and so i went in there and i bought some of the models for it um i wasn't a huge fan of actually playing the lord of the rings game i found it a little bit hectic and uh not as epic as the actual films you didn't get as many like guys but then i noticed that uh, they had other stuff on uh, sale and i'm also a um, paleontologist so i saw the uh, lizard men i was like oh now you've got my attention and then i uh, picked them up and that's sort of how my sort of warhammer quote-unquote career started outstanding oh paleontology i tell you what outside of this recording that's something i could chat to you about for absolute hours that was top of my list of things i wanted to do when i was younger i think it's quite interesting you said the lord of the rings there i think that was a similar time for me it was quite um it was a very very big outing for kind of fantasy settings and mass battles and all that kind of stuff and i think for me as well that was a, a time when i was first getting into the hobby and it really solidified my mind about how cool it was to just have all these legions of orcs and legions of elves being smashed together and the fact that you could recreate that sort of thing on a tabletop uh yeah that was magic yeah as part of um chaos dwarfs online that our, our online forum and you're a chaos dwarf collector yourself find yourself in the uh the niche of chaos dwarfs online was starting and the new seventh edition starter set literally contained nothing but dwarves and goblins and I thought, hang on a minute. This isn't a two-player starter set. This is a single-player Chaos Dwarf starter set. And so I picked it up and I um, basically just used all the goblins as hobgoblins. And with my sort of very poor, at the time, modelling skills, I just basically added loads of spikes to the uh, dwarves and then added some little pillars to the cannon to make it sort of look more upright for an Earthshaker. And effectively, I had Chaos Dwarves. That's so cool because that really is seen by a lot of people on the forum as an almost uh, a bit of a golden age in our forum days, the Battle of Skull Pass days, when yeah. so many people had come to the exact same um, conclusion as yourself, where goblins versus dwarfs, why not goblins with dwarfs? Let's turn this into one big army collecting box. And I think, you know, we can still see people like... Uh, Xander's armies and, uh, and Tab's armies and stuff from the time where where they did that. And actually, if you look back at the first ever um, Golden Hat competition, I'm pretty sure the first ever Golden Hat competition was actually to convert a Battle of Skull Pass warrior into a Chaos Dwarf warrior. 
That's actually quite amazing because I would have thought there were more people who had perhaps started during fifth edition during like the actual when the actual models were out. I I don't think so. I think the current generation of Chaos Dwarf fans, right, if they're not the Grognards, mostly in our kind of early 30s, in some cases even late 20s. And I think most of those people heard about Chaos Dwarfs as this mythical lost army that, like, had actually was starting to be removed from circulation when they were getting into the hobby. And it gave Chaos Dwarfs a kind of a cachet. It was like this concept that was encapsulated in these two words, but it was obscure. It was like the first hipster army mm -hmm. to really be contemporary with our generation of the hobby. And the only things more obscure are all the stuff that GW has been mortgaging recently, like, you know, ambles and zotes and that kind of stuff. And I think... It was a range that was big enough and distinctive enough to be a really strong flavor, but then obscure enough that nobody ever saw it in a sh in a shop. You know what I mean? There was never an official Warhammer Armies book. And I think that's what makes the Skull Pass generation so interesting because the Skull Pass generation were told you're not allowed Chaos Dwarfs and they went out and they made it happen for themselves anyway. True. That is absolutely so true. I actually used to get bullied by the Dwarf players because... Uh... They hated the army so much. I think that's awful. Quite Just yeah. out of interest, you, like this must have been your very earliest days of conversion. And like, you're one of the best converters on the forum, but it's really interesting looking at like the idea that your roots are in Skull Pass with a lot of the rest of us. What was that early first generation Tyranno army like? It was very much like if you... Uh, just went on to Microsoft Paint, took, put a Chaos Warrior, and then just stretched it wide. <laughs> that was basically what my dwarves <laughs> were like. They just had Chaos Warrior heads on them, uh, but I trimmed the horns off to try and make them look a bit streamlined, I think is the best word. And then I swapped the weapons for the Chaos Warrior ones. And in some cases, I even managed to shave the shields off and put like the Marauder ones on because they were the nice. Chaos Warrior ones were never going to fit. So the Marauder Starting one. your lifelong relationship with kit bashing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> These guys are back at the shop who uh, were taking a piss and stuff about you having a Chaos Dwarf army and didn't like you you playing with them. I mean, I know it was years ago, but do you remember what their reason for that was? Um, they played dwarves and they thought it was a stain on their honour. The law, very, know. very seriously. It wasn't that. That's it, that's that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found like sometimes you can get some funny things with uh, certain people play certain armies and I find sometimes you get a similar attitude. Like I've noticed the goblin players are always a bit of a kooky bunch, for example. It's so it seems like elves are certainly so a little bit stuck up. Like elf players are stuck up, I found. Like it's really weird. And uh, vampire players are always about power and what power and getting more power. Um well, and everyone everyone knows the war guy, right? Yes, there's always one you guy. You can hear him from the other fucking side of the building. Oh, I better I could there was one guy who did it at a tournament in a aircraft hangar with multiple floors and they heard him from a different floor. <laughs> See, I've been a 40k orc player um on and off since I was about 10 years old. And uh, it's always had that bit in the rule books, hasn't it? Like, you can shout war as well while you play it. And I've always just been so fucking timid. It's just like, oh, I'm going to take my, uh, my, my war now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> interesting, interesting. Um, so uh, let's let's have a little chat about the projects you've been you've been working on lately. Now, the book, the the hobgoblin book you've been working on, is for a game called the Ninth Age. Now, maybe uh, if you could just Tyrone give us a bit of a breakdown. Uh, and this can be as simple or as detailed as you like, really, for the listeners at home. What is the Ninth Age? If you had a friend who was into wargaming but wasn't aware of the Ninth Age, how would you kind of describe it to them? Um, okay. The, the Ninth Age is a um, square-based um, fantasy battle simulator. Um, quite a lot like how Warhammer used to be, in that you have units of models on square bases, but you also have some individual models and square bases like sing like giants and dragons. Um, it's all I don't want well, all online, but all the rules and everything uh, are online and can be downloaded completely for free. The entire project is also completely um, I don't want to say fan made, but it's um, made by people who were fans and sort of uh, came together to create this sort of entire game. Mm. And it's constantly growing. It's a living game in the sense that uh, there are relative, like relatively, re- relatively, uh, fr- frequent, uh, relatively frequent balance updates where you'll get uh, points changes uh, based on uh, tournament results and things like that. It's quite a, a very, I don't want to say strictly balanced game, but it's very well balanced and... Well, some people may shrug that off as I'll win it or cost tournament players. I found that for casual players, there is nothing better than a balanced game. Because back in the day, if you were to take a like fun Warhammer like army, you would quite often just get uh, ruffle stomped uh, if you just took the fun stuff. Because some yeah. guy, even if he wasn't win it or costs, would have taken something that just happened to be superior and would just crush you. But That's here. what's happening in AOS now. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. I'm, That's I'm the a, thing no about comment. the competitive, isn't it? With with um with uh, and I, I do have to declare my bias straight away. I am very, very much a narrative gamer. You know, I paint things mm. that I think look pretty or cool and I write army lists because the book says it would be good that way, as in like the novels and stuff, or because I've had an imaginative idea. But when I used to, and I don't do a lot of club gaming anymore, when I used to do club gaming, I found that if everyone is a different type of player, it forces everyone to be a tournament player. Because if you turn up with a fluffy list and he turns up with a tournament list, neither of you are going to have fun. That tournament player isn't going to learn anything. They're not going to have any challenge. And you're going to get all your toys out and then you're going to put all your toys away immediately afterwards and go home. And an unbalanced game just, just exacerbates that problem, doesn't it? Yeah, and some factions don't get the good graces of being given a tournament list at all, right? Which is the situation for Gloomspite at the moment, where they've got too many randomized faction mechanics to the point where if you like the models and you want to play tough, you're not going to have a good time. Shame, isn't uh, it? I'm you're uh, giving me very bad nostalgia for all the really sort of horrible times where I'd buy some models that just got released and it turns out they were not very good and it would be just an absolute slaughter, one-sided slaughter fest. And that's actually what made me, I don't want to say better at the game, but it sort of, it forced me to become way more competitive because there was just no alternative because either I just get 
absolutely crushed every time or I tr- like work my ass off to try and beat the opponent. Yeah. Like, yeah. And yeah, it and then you'd you'd also get factionalism with people who did play casually and they'd hate the people who played in tournaments and it it never got very pleasant. But with Ninth Age, I will say that if going to tournaments it has been the most pleasant experience in wargaming I've ever had. They're the nicest people. Uh, everyone there is there for a good time because they know that at the end of the day, all their units are relatively well balanced, like comparatively. So no one's there just bringing like a almost like a gimmicky like army and is going to just get absolutely spanked just because they brought stuff they liked. You yeah. can bring stuff you like and you've got as much a chance as anyone else. I would argue as well, and, and you might be able to tell if I'm right or wrong here, but at, at a nine-phase tournament, surely you're in a room full of people who have all at some point made a decision to basically divorce themselves from the constant meta change of a living games workshop game. They've, they've made that decision to go, I'm not playing that anymore. I'm playing something else. And so that would I would I would suggest weed out a certain group of players who maybe wouldn't be as much fun. I'm not a psychologist, but I've had similar discussions as to what were the players who were quote unquote um, not left behind playing with games workshop games and who were the ones who went and played like ninth or even went back to playing older versions of fantasy like what mindsets were behind those and it does make me wonder because I they were very unpleasant people I'd played against not commonly but they were ones that were pretty horrible during my Warhammer days and I just never see them touch like certain other games because I guess there is some sort of mindset behind playing a certain game yeah, I'm not saying it, AOS players are horrible. I'm not trying to say no, that. No, of course not. Of course not. Yeah, uh, I, I realize it could have come across like that, but it's just certain games will always attract certain types of people for whatever reason. And I think the word you possibly were looking for was meta chasing. Yeah, where you abandon whatever you've got and just quickly jump onto the next thing. It's very common in card games, which I used to play quite a lot of. And that's really easy to meta chase because it's just a deck of cards. You can just quickly sell it off to someone else when you think it's about to die and then just buy a new deck quickly. And my understanding, Serrano, is that as part of the game mechanics of Ninth Age, you're actually not required to set fire to your army. Is that correct? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because my understanding is that the vintage square-based community has had some issues with flammable and game mechanics that require armies to be set on fire and i'm pretty sure that ninth age is the club for people who liked warhammer fantasy but not setting fire to square based miniatures yes i'm i do wonder who that person was who did that we all know what we're thinking about here that guy who set fire to his dark elves like on the day gw did that there i have seen people who are who do pine for Warhammer, who really want the old days back, because they love, they grew up with the fluff, they loved it, and to see what happened, it's, uh, I guess it still, it does eat away at some people, but uh, the Ninth Age isn't, um, it isn't trying to be Warhammer, like, 2.0, it's, it's trying to be its own thing, it's trying to be its own game, it's got its own background, its own lore, the Ninth part is actually, um, part, is a lore, sort of derived part of the game it's sort of the um 
You know, like with uh, Elder Scrolls, where they're in like the fourth age timeline. Yeah. It's sort of like that. It's like this is actually sort of the ninth sort of age of uh, the world. Lovely. And in terms of mechanistically, just like super high level, because I'm sure there's tons of stuff. Let's say you were a square base Warhammer Fantasy player, or you might still be an eighth edition player with your mates. What are the mechanistic differences that you're going to experience in ninth age and like why are they so much more enjoyable because it really is that system that for me from the outside just as a collector at this stage everyone involved in ninth age says oh it's cracking i say that um it's sort of it feels both familiar but it feels also streamlined like some clunky elements of warhammer have been uh trimmed like that were present would have been trimmed down or made a lot easier uh like for example there's a lot greater use on sort of cards um the best way i can explain this is with magic uh, with magic what you get is you get a deck of eight cards and you um shuffle them before the game and you place them down and you'll draw one at the start of each magic phase and what it has is it has a s set of numbers the first number is how many dice both players get and the second thing is something called veil tokens the veil is sort of where the demons hide behind. It's like a nether realm. Um, and it's why the demons also have some of the best magic in the game, because they can just pull straight from it, law-wise. Um, and what you can do is you can uh, uh, turn three of those points into an extra magic dice. So you can buy uh, veil tokens, for example, through magic items, or you're having more spellcasters, or even just specific uh, spellcasters, or even units having the ability to generate more so you can generate loads of power for a magic phase it, it's sort of quite like the old um sort of zinch themed uh, warriors chaos army back in sixth edition where you can sort of generate your own power through your units it's um but it's a lot more streamlined because you just look at it and you once you know how the system works it's very easy to go flip it over go, okay i know exactly what the opponents got to work with i know what i've got to work with Let's get down to business. Nice. So it's flexible, it's balanced, and it's streamlined. That's what I'm hearing from from what you're yeah. saying to me. And I quite like the sound of that. Now the question I'm going to ask is if if uh, if, if if your mate who's asking about the ninth phase has a Warhammer Fantasy army uh, gathering dust on a shelf, or maybe like I don't know a Mantic Kings of War army, something on twenty millimeter squares or whatever, uh, can they? typically use that army that they used in the old game in this game or is it going to require quite a lot of adapting of base sizes or unit types and all that kind of stuff almost none of sort of mucking around with stuff if you've got an army on square bases you can almost certainly use it within this um because there's a very uh, clever system that uh, every unit has it's got a base size listed in the corner so you can use it for any company's models effectively. So it'll just basically go, oh, uh, like for example, I can just pull, uh, just pull open the book here. Um, Hobgoblin levies, uh, it says base size 20 by 20 millimeters. So, you know, okay, if I've got a model that's on a 20 by 20 millimeter base, it looks roughly goblin-esque, I could use it for that. Uh, if you've got an orc that could fit on a 25 by 25 millimeter base, then it can fit on that. It's really flexible model-wise. It's really open. And in fact, it's this game has opened my eyes to 
companies outside of Games Workshop. Like I've been looking at historicals, looking at other fantasy games. I've even <laughs> taken a Star Wars model at one point. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. It's very true. Well, I, I've recently been building um, uh, fantasy uh, armies, which are historical models. So I'm currently working on a 28 millimeter Roman army, and uh, I've been trying to just look at the different systems in which that can actually be be using. My gaming group primarily uses Warlords of Erewhon, so base size that doesn't matter in that at all. But um, I have both sixth and eighth edition Warhammer here at my gaming room, and I also have mantics kings of war but probably could use my uh my human army here in the ninth page couldn't i yeah perfectly there are multiple human armies but also there's multiple armies which are on the same size base as the humans like if you really wanted to you could um take out our rat based army which is the vermin swarm and you could play the romans as them That's no issue with that at all in fact, the uh, the rats are supposed to play in a style similar to the Romans. Well, they will once they've been updated. The the rats are actually going through an update at this point, and we'll see um, at the end of it what they look like. Interesting, interesting. Now, you you say about how uh, the the hobgoblins are finished. The rats are going through an update. Um, how do these books get created, and how do they get kind of updated? Because it's not like when a company owns an IP and says, we are doing this and we've hired this writers to do it. From what I understand from talking to you, this is a bit more like of uh, people within the community, the Ninth Page community are getting involved and are chipping in and stuff. So, so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that. How, does, how do we go from not having a Hobgoblin book to having a Hobgoblin book? All right. Um... Well, the Hobgoblin book is an auxiliary book, which means it is sort of created to be an offshoot of one of the other books. Um, but what happened was um, they sort of got announced that the book is sort of coming out, the, well, the, the, one, the parent book, and then they started working on that one. And as it was sort of nearing completion, uh, there was discussions internally about uh, what should we do for an auxiliary? What are people going to enjoy? And we have specific staff called Army Community Support, several for each uh, race. And they talk to the community, ask them sort of what they want, and sometimes even just sit and listen and read and see what people are looking for. Uh, like, for example, I am actually the Army Community Support for Infernal Dwarves, which are the sort of kind of equivalent to Chaos Dwarves. And I noticed quite a lot of people had wanted to have more done with hobgoblins they wanted a bit more like like of them fleshed out so when there was a discussion internally i did suggest hang on why not um have a hobgoblin army because then the people who would like more to do with hobgoblins can have exactly what they want and where there was a bit of discussion around it i produced some evidence for it and uh, people go okay let's uh, let's do it and so then what happens is there's a team of people are sort of brought together either people who um, sort of, I was trying to think of the best way to say it, uh, sort of almost sign up. Um, like they go, oh, I'd like to join the staff. Uh, they do a small interview and then they sort of let them join if, or not if they don't think they've, they're quite qualified or have um, the spare time to spare. The latter is the most important bit, having the spare time to work on this because it's a, almost not quite a charity, but it's sort of like, 
Like it's just, uh, well, it is kind of almost like charity work. You're just working for free. The whole project is done for free. There's no money passing through anything at all. It's podcasts. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of podcasts <laughs> as well. But yeah, so a few people sort of got together to um, and started making the team. And it, it was a relatively small team, only a few people by comparison to the, the like main quote-unquote books who get quite a few more staff on them. And someone was basically labelled as the book lead, like the person who was supposed to sort of dictate uh, roughly what direction like discussions are going to go, uh, which in this case was me for the Hobgoblins. And there was a few people who were supposed to work uh, on rules alongside me, and there was also uh, someone who was supposed to be from the background team, like the people who work on all the law and everything, just to make sure everything is sort of like background uh, like friendly like it's mm. sort of not too weird like against like goes against background it's we didn't really need him very much because it's relatively it was relatively open and also we kind of knew what we were doing from the start hobgoblins was were probably one of the fastest books to come like to actually be developed internally because we kind of want from the word go we knew what the book was supposed to be based on we knew what to look at and so when it came to actually designing it it was quite easy to find sort of ideas for the units and everything and go okay we need this we need this okay we'll open up threads on this unit and this particular unit and we can have discussions in here and just stage by stage it was all done bit by bit and when it was nearing completion, then we started doing some PR, releasing sort of information to the public, going, oh, Hobgoblins are coming. And then a bit later, releasing a, a rules for a few units as the book neared completion. Eventually, the book was out. Now, in terms of you, you, you've worked on the book with a team and you've, you've had your big discussions about what is and what isn't involved uh, in this book. I would imagine, you, you might tell me different, but I would imagine that a kind of starting point would be what the people expect Hobgoblins to have. For a lot of us, people who were either gaming in the 90s or have a nostalgia for gaming in the 90s would be talking about the kind of the, the Scythian wolf riding goblins from Games Workshop's uh, 1990s range. And people might have quite a fixed idea about what a hobgoblin army looks like i'd be interested in what things have you put in this book that kind of pay homage to what's come before and and kind of what people expect from hobgoblins but what else have you put in this book perhaps that goes in a new direction or adds something that people maybe haven't considered hobgoblins would have but now that they've got a a bigger range because of, of, of uh, you having less limitations with this book, things they can have now. Okay. Um, we When we were looking at what the Hobgoblins, Hobgoblins were supposed to be, because um, we we're trying to look, well, initially we had a historical army to base them off because it gives us a few ideas of units to look at and also army structure. Uh, we base them off the Sassanids who were sort of, the Persians during the Dark Age, to put it rather bluntly. Um, we knew we couldn't make them like Scythians or Mongols like uh, GW did before, um, partially due to the fear of the infamous GW attack lawyers, uh, but also um, 
because we have uh, factions who are also based on those. So we're a little bit hesitant of putting in like a clone effectively because this was a big problem with Hobgoblins was there are already several like cavalry focused armies being um, Kingdom of Equitaine, which is uh, which are based on Frankish knights and also based on the Bretonians. And then there's Makar, who are based on um, the Magyars. But they're also very Mongol as well. Like some people actually just use Mongol models for them. I do personally, because I also. Yeah. So the problem with Hobgoblins was, was not just we couldn't legally make them the same, it was actually more of we can't make them another light cavalry army because there's already a very light cavalry heavy army in play. And we need to make sure this army has its own identity and its own sort of ideas of what it, it is supposed to be. It's also, it was quite interesting to do because we also got to look into the mindset of the hobgoblins and what makes them different from standard goblins. And it was sort of an idea that hobgoblins are, I don't want to say more sensible, but they definitely aren't wacky and crazy like uh, goblins are. Mm-hmm. They were more sen- like sensible and they think about the whole, like they think about their entire society. So hobgoblins don't like breaking formation on their own. I mean, if the whole lot decide, you know, I'm out of here, they'll all go. It's not like they can't flee. But it's like a single hobgoblin doesn't like challenging anyone out to a duel because he knows he's just going to get his head smacked in and then he's going to put all the other hobgoblins at risk. So they're a very sort of uniform society. Interesting. As, as to like a specific uh, unit types, is, is there something that as a specifically kind of you could point out as going, this was taken from something that Sassanid Persia had? And this is our hobgoblin kind of take on that. Oh yes, there are two main units, but actually probably three if I put them like that. Uh, there's the quite lit- quite bluntly named hob cataphracts. Um, Sassanids were quite well known for their use of exceedingly heavily armored cavalry, Absolutely. which the Greek called yeah, which the Greeks called cataphracts. Uh, for us, like now for the real world. They're a man on a horse and covered in like armor. Uh, for the hobgoblins, it's a hobgoblin riding an exceedingly large and very aggressive wolf that's built. It's kind of like a wolf, but if you bred it like you'd breed a cart horse, it's a really bulky animal. Like it's a re- it's a much slower than a standard wolf is in the game, but it let's say its bite is worse than its bark. Interesting. Interesting. There's um, another cavalry unit which is um, based on this really funny thing we found out where the um, Sassanids used to call one of their cavalry units the Immortals because they were trying to um, emulate the same kind of respect that the Archimedes Persians did with their Immortal infantry. So they named them the same. So we did the same, but we called them Eternals as a kind of like a cheap knockoff name. <laughs> and cool. yeah, then the third... This way. And the third unit is a unit called Tusker Mahuts, who are based on the um, Sassanid heavy use of elephants. And it's basically supposed to be like hobgoblin elephant cavalry. Rather, but rather than ride on a big elephant, they're riding on um, a large sort of rhino-like creature. But there's still loads of little hobgoblins on the back with um, pointy sticks jabbing. Yeah, this sounds really cool. This sounds to me a lot like... Uh... If the hobgoblins that I know from the previous game 
are these kind of step nomads and quite a small little raiding force that may come and go in and out of your territory, attack a village and disappear at night. This sounds a lot more like the big hobgoblin empire on your doorstep that really means business. Yeah, it could actually, it could be even played like that because there are some light cavalry options. It's not many light cavalry options because heavy cavalry is the focus in this army. But there are still some light raiding cavalry with um, sort of smaller lances and bows who are supposed to be like harassment cavalry. So yeah. it is definitely feel like these guys are the big deal. Although they are actually still, like in with Chaos Dwarves, these guys are vassals to the Infernal Dwarves. And in fact, there's a quite a funny thing in the Hobgoblin lore where they are trying to use um, various tricks to pretend that their military isn't as good as it, as it actually is. Brilliant. To sort of try and use, get out of the, uh, the yoke of um, being a vassal state because they're trying to secretly build their military up to overthrow the Vernadorf someday. So they haven't lost their backstabbiness one bit. No, they're just um, <laughs> hiding it. I guess, I guess for me, Tirano, what interests me the most about the whole concept is that you're taking a faction that was really very small when it was conceived of, right? And I was, I was talking about this on the Discord the other day. The total number of GW Hobgoblin units is like minuscule. It's like melee infantry, bow infantry, melee wolves, bow wolves, a bolt thrower... And the heroes, and then in the Dogs of War list, one character and one unit of light cavalry. And what you've done is you've kind of given it a lot more credibility. Are there any kind of armies besides the classic GW Hobgoblins that really inspired your design from a tabletop perspective rather necessarily than the historical perspective? Um, one thing I did look at was um, I did look at uh, Total War Attila for a lot of the um, sort of designs and the ideas behind the units. There are some units which are basically Hobgoblin equivalents of those. Those are the ones... Was that the sort of question you were looking for? The answer you were looking for? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just super curious because, you know, you've added a lot to this whole concept, and I, I think it's fascinating all the different places that it's come from. If someone's going to play Hobgoblins in Ninth Age, what's it going to play like? What factions is it going to be similar to? Okay. Um, I guess I don't think there's really any that um, you'd find in, like, definitely Warhammer, because that's the one I'm most experienced with, but other than this, that play like them. Because the Hobgoblin playstyle for this book is a lot of cheap infantry that try to sort of almost bog the opponent down to allow the uh, heavy cavalry time to come in and crush the opponent. That's sort of the idea, is that they use a lot of static sort of combat resolution and um, just basically just holding there for just long enough for the cataphracts and the mutts to come in and sort of smash things. They're also a lot more focused on archery than before. Mm. Like, in fact, the um, Hobgoblin like, special rule like, that, that all the models have is an archery one. And it's part based on the Hobgoblin lore. And it's also part based on um, what the Assassins used to, were good at, which was which was archery. But for the Hobgoblins, it's that they are traditionally were a hunter people. 
their um, culture used to revolve around hunting and they love hunting like large, small or medium and any, any animal really they can get their like arrows into. And in fact, the entire point around the Eternals is that they're not a true bodyguard unit in the sort of normal sense. They're a bodyguard that just go out on hunting parties rather than just protect people in like a palace or anything. They're supposed to go out and aid the uh, hobgoblin general in just uh, killing what large wild animals. And so that's what uh, these guys do on the battlefield. They just treat humans, elves, orcs, anything as an animal and they'll hunt it the same way. I think it's really interesting because I think what you've done is you've taken the kind of traditional role that we were introduced to hobgoblins with via GW, which is chaff infantry, right? And you've taken a look at the Sassanids and said there's a resonance there, whether there's intentionally or not, that the Sassanids were known for the weakness of their infantry, right? That's all the Roman histories. And whenever the Romans catch them in the mountains or any kind of environment where they can't use their cavalry to full effect, they win. And a number of people become emperor via that route. And what you've done is you've taken that and you've said, yeah, everyone knows hobgoblins are hopeless infantry. But then you've given them that extra flavor that draws on the kind of history of all the wolf rider ranges and Ogla Khan's wolf boys and the kind of Mongol concept and turned it into this what sounds like a really joined up whole, which I think is probably going to be a lot of fun to play. Oh, thank you. That's, uh, that's very flattering. We've got a lot of uh, positive feedback from people who have um, played the army. I mean, I'm not sure with people who wrote some of the other books, but I've been getting quite a few like personal messages from everyone who's having fun with the book and they're saying the book is really fun to play it's not finished by the way it will go a couple of undergo a couple of small revisions where we try to fix any potential problems like the community um sort of spots and go as actually this unit isn't performing quite as expected or it's this one is completely usurping the role of another one so we'll have a look at those and adjust them as time goes but thank you so much. That's really flattering. I was really hoping that to catch that sort of Sassanid flavour with this book, but I didn't want to portray the idea of hobgoblins as like having crummy infantry. Now, um, it'd be very, very hard for us to uh, talk about hobgoblins today, Tarana, without talking about the the elephant in the room, which is, of course, that. Games Workshop, after 30 years of doing very, very little with Hobgoblins, at the time of recording, it would have been last weekend, announced that they now have a unit of Hobgoblins, uh, Hobgoblins in Age of Sigmar now. Uh, and that's a very, very strange timing. It's actually coincided with, with the completion, uh, well, at least of the first draft of these rules. Um, have you had a chance to see the Hobgoblin models that Games Workshop have brought out? Uh, yes, I have had the chance to see them. In fact, I saw them first when someone uh, joked about them in a WhatsApp group I'm in about um, having Games Workshop uh, basically just, uh, not, I'm not saying copied us, but sort of suddenly just making models to fit our game, which uh, I'm not sure if I should be flattered or not, but slightly am. The models, I've seen them and quite frankly, they're really nice. They're very, very detailed and they're very gritty. Yeah. Which does fit with the hobgoblin aesthetic we've gone for is that these are the kind of the gritty sort of members of the orcs and goblins which 
Games Workshop was somehow also embraced at the same time as well, which I'm quite stunned by. I never yeah. thought I'd see the day. That whole release has had a bit of a, a gritty orc aesthetic, and I think um, I'm, mm. I'm trying not to repeat information too much because uh, I'm, I'm aware that I'm recording this before we record the main podcast, where I'm sure the listener has already heard me waffle at length about what I think about the orcs, so I won't repeat myself here. But um, when you were talking there about having a a large wolf the size of a cart horse as, as a piece of heavy infantry, that's where my brain went to, thinking... That release certainly has a large sort of wolf or wild style creature that could easily be converted um, uh, to, to fit this army list you guys have written. Yeah, um, although I would advise listeners to probably use it for a character because I don't yeah, really definitely. recommend buying five of these kits. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For a hero or something, I was more thinking, yeah. Yeah. For those listeners who don't have the book open, the uh, hero uh, level hobgoblin, well, the general hob- of the hobgoblin army is called the Shah. So, it would be, yeah, for a Shah, that that would be really good. And in fact, I'm very tempted. In fact, as one of my friends um, wants the uh, entire Stormcast half, and they've offered to split it with me. So, looks like I might be getting these hobgoblins after all. That deal is being done all over the internet. Oxy and I almost did that deal, but I think I'm probably going to back out of it. I think. That one of the things that's so bizarre is like most people on CDO have a pretty low opinion of Stormcast Eternals, but there's never been a bigger reason for us to make friends with Stormcast players and the kind of people that like them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I do um, often cannibalize Stormcast parts for some models because they've got some useful little bits here and there. But yeah, I, I was never a huge fan of them. Although this new design, while well, I'll never play them, is certainly a lot more easy on the eyes than the old one. It's sane, isn't yeah. it? It doesn't look like that um, wide Putin meme anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a step in the right direction. I mean, like, yeah. the, the, the meme about them being um, space marines in fantasy is done to death, but it's a meme for a reason, isn't it? They, they, they are space marines yeah. in fantasy. Um, they have their differences. It's essentially what they are. Um, but at least this one, as Chit said, has lent more into the realistic, more like a, I don't know, a Romano Greco hero of myth as opposed to power armor. Yeah, they're a lot um, better. I do love the little sort of, um, not quite chainmail, but the scale mail sort of curious they've got going on between the thigh plates. That's quite a nice little detail. It's one thing I hated about Space Marines is they never had anything between their legs. So they, le- they always made me think their thighs were tiny. And it just offset me visually every time I looked up. Could never like. Honestly, Toronto, I think you are a man of impeccable taste, and <laughs> you are one of the sculptors whose achievements I am most in awe of. But I could not disagree with you more. That is the thing about the new Stormcast that I find more annoying than anything else in the world. Why are they wearing little scale male skirts? I don't understand it. Oh, I don't know logically why, but it just, it stops their thighs. <laughs> more, so I couldn't care less. Bless them. Yeah, fair, fair, very fair. <laughs> um, yeah, and she's just mentioned um, your ability as a converter and your ability as a sculptor there, mate. I think um, it'd be a miss to have you on a podcast and not spend a little bit of time talking about your dwarvish Mesopotamia blog. Now, those of you who are watching this on YouTube, uh, with your permission, of course, Tyranno, we'll stick some pictures up from some of your work in progresses, if that's okay. And um, oh, my pleasure. Of course. Cool, cool. And um, 
Yeah, let's, let's chat a little bit about that project, because just before you jumped on the chat here, um, myself and Chits were having a little natter, um, just about how impressed we have been with your blog and how um, of the, the, the myriad of, of cool armies that are on Chaos Wars Online, it's, it's, there, there are many, many armies I'm jealous of, but we both agree that your army is an army we are both very jealous of. So uh, for those of you who can't see the pictures that are coming up on the screen, um, Tyrannos um, created a Chaos Dwarf army using mostly uh, plastics, Games Workshop plastics, um, kit-bashed, converted together. And when I say kit-bashed, I mean like, I swear Tyranny, you must be buying boxes of 30 models because you want that one banner or you want that one face. And, and he's converting these really, really beautiful, historically inspired um, Mesopotamian looking uh, Chaos Dwarfs. Um, do you want to talk us a little bit about that project? Well, this will go back to a little bit of my um, like mixed uh, attempt to, to advertising the Ninth Age. And it was basically when I looked at all the armies that Ninth Age had, this was when I was looking at my 8th edition Warhammer armies and going, okay, who can I like, use as what and who's uh, who goes where? And then I noticed that... Um, Rather than just being either a 5th edition army that was uh, just reduced to a single page or was a Forge World supplement, I noticed that basically the um, evil dwarves had been uh, shoved in as a fully playable race and were just as playable as everyone else. So I thought, oh, this was the one I always wanted to play as a kid, but I couldn't really play very often because there are always people who are a bit iffy about playing against it. Or the army used to be like, entirely resin forge world and i did not have the finances to even remotely touch that at the time but now i could just go whole hog on the army and build what i wanted um it probably it started not too long after i started playing ninth age because it was just uh, at first i was using my um beast well now, now they're called beast herds my beast men against my um friends and then I spotted these and thought, oh, the dwarves. I'm like, oh, hang on. And so I started looking into the dwarf models available. I quickly put to one side any, any thought of using the uh, Forge World stuff because, again, resin. And, and I don't like working with resin as well. I don't like it as a medium. Other people are fine with it, but I just, I can't stand it. Um, so what I started doing was I started buying dwarves, like the plastic dwarves, and started mucking around with them and testing parts and seeing what worked and what didn't. And I found that the new sort of um, corn bloodbound heads that came on, I think it was the Blood Reaver kits, were very dwarvish in sort of proportion. And you got like loads and loads of them in a box. So I thought, oh, hang on, I can just use them. And so I got these really mean expressions, some of them with horns, some with sharp tusks. And then I was like, okay, these fit onto the dwarf bodies, but they need beards. And so that started my effective career of trying to sculpt uh, Mesopotamian-style beards. And you can actually see, if you look at the blog, some of them, some of the beards are not as good as the others, but that just shows how long I've been doing this and how I've improved the beards over time. Oddly enough, one of the first ones I did is like is actually as good as the ones I did now. I'm not sure how it's still that perfect. <laughs> uh, it's the um, sorcerer prophet who's um, holding a small flame and a knife. Um, but yeah, it was 
basically that. And from there, I kept on going with the army. Um, I tried a few versions of Hobgoblins out at first using Noblar heads on Skaven slaves, then Noblar heads on Storm Vermin, before finally settling on Night Goblin heads on Storm Vermin. Because I found the Noblar heads were so small, so tiny, that they actually had no eye detail. Oh, okay, that, that's not good. Um, and I didn't find, and the n- large noses put me off because they overwhelmed like, the face completely. So I wanted something a bit more, like, vi- you could see. Um, but after a while of doing this, I started going, hmm, like, I'm sort of like, just spinning my wheels with this. I'm not really going anywhere with the models. And I needed some inspiration, especially considering I was converting the whole thing. So I started looking up various uh, civilizations that the um, Chaos Dwarves were originally based on. So I looked up the Babylonians. But then I not only did I think, oh, what other Mesopotamian civilizations are there? But there was an exhibition at the British Museum on the Assyrians. And to anyone who doesn't know who the Assyrians are, they basically make the grim darkness of anything Warhammer has written look like flowers and daisies. They are vicious, <laughs> vicious people. And they did some of the most ab- cruel and abhorrent things I've ever heard. And uh, for everyone's sake, I'm not going to mention exactly what those all were. But I started using them as a inspiration model-wise, like copying their armor, copying their shield styles. Like, for example, I noticed that all the Warhammer Tomb King shields were a lot closer to Assyrian ones than they were to Egyptian. So I started buying those up and started using them. And after a while, I realized this army is, I want it to look uniform. I want it to look like everyone's suit of armor has effectively come off the same sort of, not quite assembly line, but it's all made to look the same. It's all made to look like it's one army. The only thing that should be different is maybe like the weapons, the shoulder pads and the helmets, just to add flair and detail. And so I started using the same hammerer kit throughout the entire army literally every dwarf in my army apart from the ones who have no armor is is made from a hammer it's the scale mail isn't it yeah it's the scale mail because it didn't the problem i found was some of the dwarves have celtic runes carved and i just and i'm like no i i can't have like like uh, or Near Eastern dwarves with the, the Triskelion just carved onto them. I can't have that because then it will just look off. And also, I know it's off and it'll bug me, which is <laughs> why <laughs> I'm so like, determined to get this all right is because it will bug me. <laughs> like, I will just see something and I'm like, no, nope, I don't like that. It's bugging me now. So uh, that's uh, where I went inside using the hammerers. I also use the... Um, horribly spelled fire slayers as um I don't know, as any dwarf who doesn't really need a lot of armor like engineers or charioteers for example but um after a while i noticed that maybe that walking barefoot on burning hot metal is probably not the best idea so then i gave them all um the same hammerer tunic because i had some old hammerers where the torso had been damaged but the lower half was completely intact so i started slicing those in half and then using them to combine with the engineers to make them look a bit more a more uniform and b so they don't have blisters all over their feet because i don't like the idea of my poor dwarves having to have like burns painted on them 
But yeah, it was mostly just sort of going through like what the um, Assyrians used to use, uh, going through loads of, I've got books on them now. And it's, it's almost kind of inspired me more to look into how the Assyrians did things and how like their culture was. Because it's quite interesting doing all that research off the back of just loving a miniatures army. Quite interesting. Well, I think, I think the thing with um, historically based fantasy armies, and this is something that you, you seem to really excel at, but a historically inspired and based fantasy army, there is something innately believable about it. And you don't have yeah. to know anything about Assyrians to look at your army and know it makes sense to go, this feels like a real army that would exist and would march together. Because those historical influences are, are there. And like you were saying, the things like you recognise that those shields for the Egyptian-inspired force were actually a lot more Assyrian design. You've plucked that and you put it in. Now, a layperson like me is not going to know that, but I do know that those shields really, really work and fit with that because you've done the research and you've looked at the styles of armour and the fashions of that society and you've, and, you, and you've made it match. And I do think, and I, I, I try not to do too much Age of Sigmar bashing because... Um, it's a, probably a subject for another day. I do think Age of Sigmar has some merits for, for some things, but one of the things that it does uh, not do particularly well is it doesn't, in my opinion, really ground uh, its its designs in something known and tangible and believable. So everything just comes off as being a bit a bit wacky. Whereas your your army is definitely a fantasy army, but where it has its roots deeply in something known and believable and and real life it just seems to breathe more it seems to, to live more thank you that's a lovely com compliment and that's also kind of what i was trying to achieve because the idea was also with it being so historically based is not only because it makes my life easier for researching things but also when people look at it something in the back of the head says yes this works whereas some of the Age of Sigma stuff, not all of it, mind, some of it's better than the others, but some of it, people, you look at it and the uncanny valley just, yeah, the alarm goes off in the back of your head and you're like, okay, that's not right. That's not right at all. Bat, bat centaurs, um, uh, elves riding wallabies. I'm, I said I was going to talk about this, I started talking about it. I've definitely, I've definitely got a maybe a, a middle ground way of thinking about this, right? Which is, there are some miniatures which demonstrate the direction GW could have gone if they'd just chosen to put 40k production values on Warhammer Fantasy Battle miniatures, mm. right? And and that's like the White King that they just released for Soulblight. Great. Yeah. Oh, the, the vampires who are not centaurs, that is what you could have achieved. And uh, even a Lariel on a giant fucking dung beetle, right? Okay, I could. You could have had your era of centerpieces, and it would have been fine. But they they exited quite specifically from stuff that has those roots that you're describing, which um, and you know, Tomb Kings was a discontinued army for a reason, right? Um, yeah. And equally, I think lots of the other more rooted stuff is discontinued because the motifs are so accessible and human and open that the the wider miniatures market has seen a rush of creativity of you know people executing on those concepts better than gw did 
And we've spoken about some of the ranges that use cuneiform, some of the ranges that use proper Assyrian architecture and all that kind of stuff. Lost Kingdom is a great example. Um, and I think that what you're doing by rooting it back in that kind of stuff is you're going in a direction that GW are not going to go in future because they're not going to, to use something that grounded because it can't be effectively trademarked and you can't run lawsuits off the back of it. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I did um, when you said about Tomb Kings, I did matter to myself. Yeah, you can't uh, copyright Egypt. <laughs> no, and and I think that's exactly what's what's happened, right? They could have in the remaster of Tomb Kings and after Total War Warhammer Two and all that kind of stuff sold a shed load of that stuff, but instead you got Osiarch. Yeah, which really creeped me out. The face is like. I, I like the cavalry because they they're, they're they're like creative. I like the different animal heads. It does actually give me a bit of an Egyptian vibe. But the rest of them, the oh, the heads, the heads, oh, the noses. Why do skeletons have noses? Oh, is that is that yeah? That's probably it. Some skeletons have noses. That's what's weirdest about it. Some skeletons have noses oh, and some yeah. don't. My mate Luke, who I know listens to this podcast, he's a massive Undead fan. The man owns an astronomical mount skeleton. When the Ossiarch Bone Reapers came out, I think he gave me the one sentence that just summed it up of, how do you do skeletons wrong? <laughs> yeah. That, 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 I think that, that just summed it up to me. How you, You've actually had to work really hard to do this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> especially because you could go in any other direction they could have been celtic skeletons do you know what i mean they could have been they could have been japanese skeletons there's so much that you can do that grounds things in an aesthetic that real humans really created yeah i think yeah that does also cut you off a market as well because people will recognize that and go ah I recognise that. And in some cases, some people are even related to it and will uh, buy into it. Like, I believe that for a very long time, Bretonians were the most popular Warhammer army in France. That's cool. Mm. Because, they like, because they liked that sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink towards them. But if you just drop it, then no one's got any connection. There's no soul. I think I think there's something positive about this, though, because I think that you and the mothership are going in different directions. And if we take the Hobgrots as an indicative of what direction Chaos Dwarfs even are going to come in future, what we're looking at here is something where you've got your stuff, they've got their stuff, and Ninth Age is getting iteratively, you know, more and more distinctive of a flavour. And, and I love it for that, because new ideas that i think are cool are coming out of that space they're not hugely coming out of the other space right now yeah and you know what the the, the industry's changed so much as well let's say warhammer fantasy battles had blown up 20 years ago and you guys wanted to make from the ground up a square based uh fantasy uh battle system where are you going to get your models from for that do you know what i mean whereas now such a competitive marketplace and there are so many so many companies out there ranging from the kind of very budget to the very high end to like 3d printing and stuff that we can now as communities come up with rule sets and come up with our universes and we know that people can now go out and get the miniatures whereas previously we were very much more slaves to what the one big company 
would produce and would let us have. I agree with that there. I think the, the, the uh, I don't want to call it death, but uh, what GW did with fantasy at the very end actually created a lot of um, market competition and creativity for that type of fantasy of various races who some people can deny as much as they want, but the old Warhammer fantasy races were for the most part, almost all based some way on a real historical counterpart, just with a fantasy twist. And that sort of style has exploded. Like you mentioned Lost Kingdom, like they're just, their models are fantastic, but you can clearly see the Assyrian motifs in their dwarves and you can clearly see all the Aztec the love that's gone into the lizards to the point that GW's latest Lord Croak model looks a bit familiar. Oh yes, doesn't it just? <laughs> and I think I think the thing is the old world as a setting was a distorted, you know, completely switched up map of the world with the cultures roughly in the places where you found those countries in the real world, right? You know, you've got you've got all the way over to the east, all of those countries, you know, they, they are roughly where they are in the world. And the original Scythian hobgoblins, followed by the more explicitly Mongol hobgoblins, you know, they live in that neck of the woods. But yeah. I think the thing that I find most interesting is that through your conversion work, Tyranno, you have recreated real human aesthetics with the kind of mask wearing heavily armored immortal style infantry you have recreated aesthetics out of almost entirely legit gw plastic correct me if yeah. i'm wrong and then like a massive dose of green stuff over the top of it yeah a lot of it was actually inspired i know which ones you're talking about though my immortals the really really heavily armored ones they were uh, inspired mostly because, for some strange reason, GW decided to make uh, Blood Bowl dwarves with Chaos Dwarf-esque masks on them that had this creepy, emotionless expression on them. And I looked at those and went, that is the most Mesopotamian-looking face I have ever seen, like, the armour-wise. And I just thought, I want that. And I spent a long time with those models looking at them and figure out how to make them into some sort of Chaos Dwarf unit. It did start with me basically just taking the models, arming them with weapons, and then green stuffing sort of skirts on them. But they didn't end up looking the way I wanted. They didn't end up uniform because they were moving too much. And I couldn't cover up all of the Blood Bowl stuff because some of them, you know, they're, they're different positions on the, um, on the field. So some of them were wearing different armor to the others. So you couldn't really get a uniform look out of them. And eventually I just bit the bullet and went, okay, all right, boys, heads off. You're all going on hammerers. Another model you used, um, and I think you might have used it for a giant. Am I right? It used the, uh, the Slanesh Demon Prince. Yes. Yeah. Now that yeah. model, I, I own that model because I've got a, uh, I suppose it's technically a little um, Age of Sigmar slash warband, but I use it for Warlords of Erewhon. It's like a, a circle-based little slash warband. And I, 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 but that model was one of the reasons why I got it, because I thought that model was just instantly very cool. What I did was I cut the demon off of the top. I just liked the bloke walking forward with the axe. I thought it was very cool. In fact, I thought he was very um, 
reminiscent of uh, how Xerxes is portrayed in yeah. the 300 movie. And yes, I that is hundred percent it. Yeah, that is exactly it. <laughs> I'm so glad because when I saw you use that for your uh, Middle Eastern army, I was like, I bet you were thinking the same thing as me. Now, my 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 Slesh army's much more um, pink 1980s realm of chaos sort of vibe, but it was that Persian looking character that really sold me on that force. And you used it for the giant, didn't you? You gave him a beard and stuff. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, I gave him not only a beard, but I gave him some of the um, like large scale replica versions of the hammer of scale mail around his uh, sort of waist as well. Uh, and then mucked around with the arms and then gave him some big shoulder pads. And uh, he's got a little thing on the back of his neck, which I assume was where the little demon sort of harness sat. Yeah. What I did was I took a chain and attached it to it and dragged it down the back to almost look like a collar to make him look a bit more like a slave. And yeah. I even kept the Sleshi symbol on his forehead a bit, because then we're just going to paint it like a burn, like they just branded him, which actually fits in with my slaves, which I might talk about in a bit, maybe not. But yeah, the first thing I, I uh, thought when I looked at model was, I am a generous god. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it just was Xerxes. And even though, I will say this now, 300 is... Very, very historically inaccurate. Oh, gotcha. But, <laughs> yeah, but that idea of Xerxes, that, how much do I put it? Extravagance, almost, and strangeness to him, almost otherworldliness. Yeah. Because I had this discussion with someone else the other day. Mesopotamian architecture has a very otherworldly quality to it. It is mm. very odd. Like, yeah. we're so, I think it might be just that we're so used to Greek and Egyptian architecture architecture and our culture that it probably seeing this third element sudden like which has suddenly become a lot more popular maybe just weirds us out a little bit by comparison because we're so used to the egyptians and the greeks is there is there a word more evocative than ziggurat yeah absolutely yeah yeah it is such a strange word and it describes such a strange building yeah even though they also the aztecs had them had them as well but yeah they were doing their own thing with them. But I mean, is is that is 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 that part of the world where East meets West? Is that part of the world where, you know, Greeks on one side and Persians on the other? I'm sure the Persians probably told stories about how strange the Greeks were and vice versa. Is that is is that kind of like um a real meeting of cultures and a bit of cultures being alien to one another? And you mentioned about the film Three Hundred there not being historically accurate. God no, of course it's not. But um I've always liked to think, you know how the film's a bit of a frame narrative with the soldier who was at the Battle of Thermopylae. And I think there, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, and yeah. he's there rousing the troops. I always figured that 300 isn't what happened. 300 is the story he told about what happened. Yeah. That's yeah, how I always view that. That's how I view 300 as well. It's basically, it's the perfect piece of Spartan propaganda. Yeah. And that's what, it was never intended to be historically accurate or even remotely friendly to the Persians. Um that guy who actually got his eye um, gouged out in the battle, he actually, reco- it wasn't gouged out because the, re- the real guy did exist. And yeah. his eye was just got a small infection and he was ordered to return home because he couldn't hold his shield properly to protect everyone. Um, and in that th- battle, you see right at the end where he's leading everyone, he actually breaks formation in the, like, in the real world. He breaks formation and he just goes on a berserk frenzy and slaughters a load of Persians. And... He'd had all his military honours removed because they thought he was a coward because they didn't believe him when he came back and said, oh, I was sent home for an eye infection. And they were like, yeah, right, mate. 
But uh, after he, I know. But then um, after the battle where he slaughtered a lot of Persians, uh, he was basically his family was sent an apology, and they're like, "Oh, here's all his military honors back, but we won't give him any more than what he already had because he broke ranks, and that is not Spartan." So if you ever see Spartans breaking ranks, that's also a load of crap. Fantastic. Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah. I did actually use also the 300 um, versions of the Immortals a tiny bit, because mm-hmm. that's where I got the mask idea from, Yeah, partly. But I did base them mostly off uh, the historical Immortals with their sort of spears up and um, big shields and the scale mail. But also I did base the hats on the sort of Babylonian um, royalty sort of style hats. Yeah. Like the little sort of, the, yeah, you know, the, the tall hat thing. But um, interestingly, if you've uh, been looking at my blog, you'll actually see that I use some Blackguard hats. And those are almost exactly what Assyrians used to wear. They wore hats almost exa- in battle, like uh, the Blackguard for the Dark Elves. But minus the spikes, because I don't think anyone really... like. There's only one civilization we know who wore like horned spikes into battle, and that was the Mycenaeans. But Because it's not a good idea. No, it's not, is it? I don't know. All those wonderful Viking operas, they, they, they lied to us. Yeah, <laughs> and even then, the Mycenaean horns are at the front of the head, not the yes, side. Yes, they are, so, yeah. So it's not like to get in the way of your mate to one side, but also Mycenaeans fought very differently to Greeks. So they weren't very formation focused. So it was probably a lot like more okay to accidentally swing your horned head around because you won't go like gouge someone's armpit or something. Yeah. But yeah, um, that fact, like finding out the Blackguard had an identical helmet was like a goldmine for me because I was like, all right, just take that. Yeah, definitely. And you talk about like spikes and stuff. I think that's when you know when you've got a fantasy army that is inspired by real life. That's where you have your creative freedom, don't you? If you want to do yeah. skulls and spikes and slightly over the top weapons and all that kind of stuff, that's where all that fantasy stuff comes in. But it's still rooted in yeah. something recognisable and believable. Yeah, I actually trimmed down some of the great axes that um, some of my dwarves were holding because I thought that the ones GW had were so large, it looked a bit almost too much. But yeah. also because um, some of the um, well, the ones who have the great weapons in there, they are like the lowest Infernal Dwarf. I mean, it's still pretty high by most army standards, but they're sort of, since they're the low guys, I thought give them the smallest axes yeah. just to make them look a bit like not too much. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, I did actually use another inspiration source other than just um, the Near East. Um, have any? Have we mentioned Elder Scrolls earlier? But have any of you Enwars played Morrowind? I've never played Morrowind. No, unfortunately, I'm I'm, I'm a, a filthy Skyrim casual. Oh, you should <laughs> play Morrowind, or even better, play the remake that's coming out because fans are remaking Morrowind, but in Skyrim's engines. But um. I used Morrowind as a base as well for inspiration, mostly uh, for the uh, the basing style, because Morrowind is based in an ash wasteland. And I thought that's very sort of dwarfy. Because here's the little thing, I don't like lava bases. I know that might sound like heresy in a Chaos Dwarf form, but I don't like lava bases because I think it detracts the eye too much from the model. And I feel like if you're going to have 
like such a so much work put in an army don't make the bases ridiculously extravagant because then you'll just drag the eye away from your work but um i i, think... I also don't like lava bases but that's because i have no talent <laughs> whereas i can do an ash base with a dry brush and some black paint yeah, see, my cows dwarfs have lava bases, but that's mostly to draw your eye away from my paint jobs. And I can do, I can do lava bases really well. <laughs> but I love the ash waste aesthetic, Toronto. It, it is. I also think if you're going to go for the Darkland style environment, yeah, that is what they would actually be walking around on. There aren't that many open lava pits, and you wouldn't tread on them. Because oh, I don't right. care how many places near them. to stand. Yeah, that's yeah. it. You'd be nowhere near them. Now, you actually. Talking about if, if you had have picked a more fantastical basing scheme, something otherworldly, something larvary or something, it may well have detracted slightly from the historical roots that you've put in there. It might have, might have just might have broken our immersion a little bit into what you're creating. Because I think with a base, you are kind of, um, you're not just doing a base, are you? You're doing, a, these are the guys and these are where they're from. You're kind of doing that, or at least these, this is where they're fighting. And my lava base ones are for my 1990s cartoony big hats. So they're bonkers. They could be anywhere. But yours are very yep. believable and historically inspired. So I think having an ash waste for them, that really makes sense. Thank you. Um, yeah, it does sort of fit with a slightly more toned down look I'm going for. Um, one of the sort of Elder Scrolls-esque thing I added to my army is, um, has anyone here looked through the models? Because I made a single post about this with just one picture. Did you see my slave, perchance? Rather, the orcs. Oh, I did. I did. And your slave, I'm going to, let me see if I can read the miniature from memory, Toronto. Let me see what I can do here. So he's holding a Stormcast Eternal Shield. Or is it a Tomb King Shield? It's a Tomb King. Well, I use Tomb King, Tomb King for everything except for my um, uh, it, Immortals. They're the ones who get the biggest. Okay. And his, his head, he's like a skinny slave runt fella but his head is off of the new undersea elven faction they've got those infantry who don't have any eyes yep in fact the whole body is from it oh that's really interesting um and and for once you got more than one component out of a kit which i think is admirable given <laughs> the 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 way that you use single items from a whole kit and i think what happens to the rest of the kit it amazes me um and he and made. he is he is based on like Falmer. Is that what they're called? The little blind elves that live in the mines. Yeah, it's a mix. Uh, it is partially the blindness is based on the Falmer, and in fact, the Falmer are were blinded by um, the Elder Scrolls version of the Chaos Dwarves because they do oh, have nice. Chaos Dwarves in um, Elder Scrolls, or rather, they did, but they're extinct, which is a shame because I really wanted to play as one. Surprise, surprise. Um, but they're also based on a monster you could fight in Morrowind called the Ash Slave, which was basically a dark elf that had gone like completely insane due to a corruption. Big plot thing. I'm not going to spoil it or tell it because it's very long and very deep. But basically it was a elf that had no eyes and its skin was all burnt. And the only things it was wearing was rags. And I thought... That's a fantastic look, and I'm going to go for that. So I spent ages, like, stripping the um, Ideneth Deepkin model of all of its armour, except for the collar, which I kept, and I'm painting the same as my Kerstorf armour to make it look like collars they've placed around them, to sort of keep them, like, in check. 
and then I use chains on the uh, between the feet to make them look have a bit of a chain gang look. I know it doesn't make quite a lot of sense because it does make them worse at fighting, but I mean the stats are pretty crap anyway, so it doesn't have too much there. But um, I then sculpted loads of um, sort of cloth around them, around the arm, like not around the arms, around the waist to hide any of the itemess stuff I gouged off, and around the legs because the legs are covered in a lot of armor. But it did make them look bandaged and like their legs were bleeding from all the walking they've been forced to do. There's even a tiny bit of a historical reference in them. Do you see how he's holding his shield in both hands? Yeah, yeah. That's something the Assyrians used to do. They, well, not them personally, but they would get slaves to hold a shield in two hands and they'd line them up in a wall and then they'd get their archers to walk behind them. And so they could have a moving archer line. Is and that a just... Barra Barra? Um, I don't remember the name, but it is what okay. they... Um, they basically just had walking shield walls and they would just peek over yeah. the top, fire, and duck behind again. Very vicious. <laughs> I mean, it's a step up from the Mongols just not giving anyone anything and just making their slaves just die. Yeah. But it's pretty brutal. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to reference this with the shields because I was thinking for ages about making them carry stuff and things like that. But then I read about the shield thing and I was like, that is disturbing. I'm doing that. There's, You've um, actually inspired me. I, I, I won't ask you now. Please do finish what you're about to say. But I've got to remember, I've got a big, important hobgoblin question to ask you in a minute. No problem. I was going to say one other thing is just the uh, model below it. Uh, you may have spotted something that looks like a giant dwarf mouth that's sort of yawning. <laughs> construct. Yeah. Um, do you... I. Any of you guys old enough to remember the Chaos Dwarf Juggernaut? Not old enough, but I know, I know the model from, from internet searches and such. I know Chits definitely I, does. I sold one just last month. You sold it to my mate, Ooh. I think. I did sell it to your mate <laughs> for a very good price. Yeah, I mean, uh, now you can holiday in the Bahamas for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Don't Whatever you do, listeners, don't pay the eBay price for the Juggernauts they've got on there. Do not do it. Call me. My DMs are open. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, know, I know how to use eBay pricing. Never go what you see. Always go by like what's no. sold, not what's selling. Anyway, Absolutely. Part of my job. But anyway, um, this thing is um, part of... Basically, Infernal Dwarves got a new book relatively recently, and it's still being worked on, but it's like only in the final stages now of public testing. This is something Ninth Age does a lot, is we have a lot of public testing. So... The community is involved quite a lot by comparison to, say, Games Workshop, who basically just drop the book on you and go, here, go away. Do what you want, but don't uh, come back to us with feedback. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this was a unit we added, which was basically, it was based on both the Juggernaut and it was based on the Assyrian Siege Tower. And while the book was being designed, I got curious and decided to see if there are any applicable models for it. And I found that... For some reason, in 2003, some historical company made kits for it. I, I actually think I've seen those somewhere. Yeah, they just I just Googled it and I was like, oh, they're very cheap and the quality was very high, although building it was like chewing your own arm off. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and it's shocking because the, the detail is so high. It's such a yeah. good model, especially for the time period. Like, 
GW wasn't making plastic kits that good back then. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. But then I thought, you know, I've got to dwarfify this. And I remembered that big magma um, thing, like, face. And I thought, ooh, hang on. And so I placed, so I didn't put the front of the tower on and sort of changed the back of it so it would fit with the head. And then I put the lower, I cut the lower jaw off and lowered it to the bottom of the opening for the battering ram and then put some plastic card to make it look like the jaw just stretched. So it was a little bit of just trying to make it fit. But also it was like that scene from The Mummy where Imhotep sort of controls the sand and he makes his jaw just stretch. Yes. So it's another bit of a um, antiquity reference there. So just on while we're on antiquity, um, have you seen the Victrix Persians, Tyranno? Oh, I saw them and I got really annoyed that I'd already like made hobgoblins and made everything I wanted because I saw them. <laughs> and I was like, just and go I, as mad yeah. as I do and just buy them anyway, and then have human war slaves. I'm gonna, I'm, I've got two regiments of them. They're very cheap. They're good plastic. They're a little bit multi-part monopose, just for anyone who's listening. They're a little bit multi-part monopose in that they do have lots of components, but they only really go together in a couple of basic shapes. Yeah. Um, but they are cracking. And then also Victrix has got fantastic elephants. If anyone wants something to convert into Tyranno's um, big rhino beasts, you can use the Victrix war elephants, which come two to a pack for a very good price. Yeah, really affordable, aren't they? You don't have to sell Victrix to me. Trust me, I have an entire army all made from Victrix stuff, and I have various units of that, like other units in other places. Like I literally have an entire Viking or rather Nordic army built from their models, and um, with a few fantasy elements thrown in. Like finding out they made plastic cast skulls was just like Christmas. I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> no, I'm I am. I, I very nearly, I was going to take the plunge and buy a lot of their early Imperial Rome uh, range because I'd previously got hold of very cheap the Warlord games, plastic Imperial Romans, but they look great. But then when you actually put them next to a 28mm model, you quickly realise it's being advertised as 28mm and it's definitely 25mm. I know the Italians were supposed to be shorter than the Gauls, but that's ridiculous. They, they're really... <laughs> Um, I was I was going to say that because I'm I'm the, the human war slave army that I'm putting together mixes dogs of war in heavy armor with like Victrix humans and other stuff like that. And I was going to caution people the same thing. The elephants in particular, the scale of a monster that you would find on a normal Warhammer fantasy big base versus how big an elephant actually historically yes. is compared to a person it's going to look smaller than you're expecting. So if you choose to go down the Victrix route, that is a good thing for a Chaos Dwarf player, but just don't mix in other scales of humans. And then it, they'll look proportional. They're not heroic scale and they won't be. Well, this is why I've embraced 3D printing with my Romans now. So that um, yeah. I'm printing my Romans at really, really stupid, unbelievable scales. So they look normal <laughs> next to my Warhammer models. <laughs> Yeah, they do look they do look hilarious. You should post them up on the forum. I think I have somewhere. Oh no, I haven't posted these ones yet. I'm, I'm part way through. No, not yet. When they're up, you'll see them. As I think Chips described them as chunky boys. They are. They're like they like the proportions of those Stormcast from the first edition of AOS Tirano. Oh God, that's <laughs> awesome. I was going to say though, uh, maybe it's because it's an Indian elephant. That's why it's so small compared maybe, to the African. Maybe. 
I actually, you were saying about the Warlord games, Romans. I actually did buy some of them, uh, but not for the use for the Romans. I actually bought their bolt throwers and I've used them for the Hobgoblin ones. Yeah, I own the bolt throwers. It's quite a nice, nice. little kit. Actually, their auxilia kit is really well scaled as well. Their scales are all over the place, unfortunately. Their, their, their auxiliaries are really well scaled, but their legionaries are tiny. I think there's a reason for that. I think that's because Warlord don't actually do many of their own sculpts. No, they actually have other mini companies doing it for them. They because I used War to... Games Factory, yeah. I believe, and I think the legendaries yes. are old War Games Factory models. Yeah, because um, I used to buy War Games Factory's Japanese models, and then their website said, "Oh, we're actually with them now," and I was like, "Okay." Yeah. So that's how I figured out they were there. Oh, my my Japanese it. army is great. It's it's so it was so cheap under war games factory like oh my god <laughs> the one thing i would say to people just to conclude the kind of of victrix human detour that we've gone on is that you have to understand that, that the reason that the scales are a bit weird is because there are like five or six historical ancients kind of mini companies only a handful of whom we've just named and they try to sell minis that are broadly compatible with each other because they're all servicing the same market and they're not in, you know, they're not in ugly GW style exclusivity competition. Um, and so they are just unable to cross the bridge fully into heroic scale because they would be kind of out of step with their friends, as it were, um, which doesn't really sing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to pivot us a bit back towards Hobgoblins there are two things I wanted to mention before I, I asked my super important um, headwear based question. Um, I did just want to check question. You note the aesthetic of the upcoming Hobgrots releases. You look at things like the bolt fur and stuff like that. It's very ramshackle. And I'm getting the mm. feeling from the way that you're describing this quite well organized nation of Hobgoblins with a proper hierarchy that they're not going to have that kind of ramshackle feel unless you decide to model them in that way. Is that part of your vision for them, Tirano, that they're a bit cleaner and more organised? Um, I wouldn't say they're cleaner. I'd say that they just build things to make them more efficient. So those new bolt throwers are at, for, um, that have been shown off by GW are probably actually really good because those orcs are really, really serious about what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd say that actually fits perfectly fine. It's the stuff like fanatics. That's there's all the stuff they don't do. Like you what like the hobgoblins won't basically stuff some guy full of drugs, give him a big iron, wreck him <laughs> chuck him away. But they will build doom divers. <laughs> yeah, no, no doom divers. Those sorts of things. No, but they will build things that are efficient and effective, even if they look a bit um, spiky and barbed and horrid. The, um, also, the other idea with the Hobgoblins is they do a lot of trade with the Infernal Dwarves to get some mm. stuff off them. So, for example, one of the unique items for the Infernal Dwarves mm. is um, something called Infernal Armor, which is like plate armor, on, but it protects you from fire as well. Uh, the um, Infernal Dwarves can take this on quite a few units, including some core units. But the Hobgoblins have a few... Uh, special units that have it as well because they've bought it and so some of their armor will be effectively dwarven made but the, the stuff they make themselves is still pretty effective that's why they've like they've got cataphracts where they're like got a barded mount and they can wear heavy armor and they've got a shield and they've got a lance it's all still effective even though it might look a bit spiky and nasty 
that is really cool and also really reassuring because I'm buying that bolt thrower and putting it next to my old school 93 bolt thrower and I think they're both going to look cracking. Um, so that's really cool. It's a lovely model and I'm really happy that someone wanted to split this with me because uh, some of the stuff in here is absolutely fantastic. But we have, um, so there's even more stuff you could have used because there's a creature in the um, Hobgoblin book called a Drum Gogyag. Um, mm -hmm. Word Gogyag is a goblin-esque word meaning big pet. So it basically it just means some sort of big creature. But the idea behind that unit was it's a monster that can join units of infantry and that's sort of all it does. But it's to give this really cool visual of big monsters striding amongst the infantry. But uh, GW have made this big troll thing and you could easily just put him on the base and uh, slap him with them as well. That is something that I look forward to very strongly. Um, but before I can engage any further, I've got some very important questions and you must yeah. answer them without delay. <laughs> Question number one. In your vision for the Hobgoblins, do they wear shoes or not? Um, for my models, they wear sort of foot wrappings. Uh, so sometimes a, a toe will be poking out or some, to some toes will be poking out, but they try to cover their toes up. Um, it's just like, yes and no. Interesting. Bare feet are an important and controversial topic amongst Hobgoblin fans because some of the original 93 Hobgoblin range had bare feet and some did not. And so some of the successor ranges, including some of the ones that we spoke about in our previous podcast, have explicitly reproduced the barefooted Scythian hatted Hobgoblin and others have not. Um, but Tyranno has spoken. In the Ninth Age, some hobgoblins wear shoes, some hobgoblins do not wear shoes. Question two, what is the correct form of headwear for the average hobgoblin? Is it a Scythian peaked hat or is it a Mongolian styled louvous or is it that weird helmet that we saw the hobgrots wearing? It's, um, I've got a bit of one. It's, uh, generally it's a um, iron helmet if you're wearing armour and if you're not wearing armour they um, generally will wear nothing or they will wear a sort of a not quite a cloth cap but sort of like a little almost like a hood but not like a night goblin one where they've got the point where it's pointy it's a more like a low flat hood um, the best description is basically just look for what um, Sassanid infantry have Hugely controversial, of course, but this is Chaos Dwarfs Online, the forum that brought you helmets, hats, <laughs> or both, right, as a, as a barrier to entry. And I just thought there is a hobgoblin angle on that question, and it's all to do with headwear as well. Um, you've survived my grilling, Tyranno. Thank you for telling us what they wear in the Ninth Age, um, straight from the author's mouth. Um, Oxy, what else do we want to cover? Excuse me, I'm not the guy who came up with the background, so I'm not the um, <laughs> be-all, end-all on what they wear. I'm more of what um, they, um, well, the armour they wear rather than their clothes. What they wear on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, you'll have to ask the um, background. Or even just look in the book because it has little background um, elements for every single unit. Because we've added a little blurb for them. This is one nice thing the auxiliaries have, is because we don't have the resources to make them quite as good looking as the main armies um rather than having like devote a whole page to a unit and another whole page to a unit's description in the actual army book itself there's um, a little paragraph for everyone so but it's quite useful so if you just look at the unit you can just read what it is immediately and go okay now i understand 
That is cracking, and I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on the book when it is available. I mean, it's available now. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Sign me up. Yeah, it released a few, about uh, Thursday. Which will stick um, some links in, uh, in, in the description of this today so that people can, can, who are listening can click straight away and, uh, and have, a look at the, have a look at the army book. And uh, we'll also we'll do, a link to your, uh, we'll do a link to your Dwarvish Mesopotamia blog as well while we're at it so viewers can, can have a look at that as well. Is there anything else, mate, that you'd like to kind of uh, shout out? Any blogs, any social media? any way that people can engage with what you're creating or if there's something else other people are creating that you think you'd like to point people in the direction of? Uh, for the first thing, I have an Instagram called Tyranno Sculpts. Um, mostly what I'd post there is actually um, tips and tricks for sculpting and model making and perhaps a little bit of, because um, I'm not an amazing painter, I'm just an okay one. I've also post guides around making your painting easier when it regards to modeling, AKA don't stick the shields on until like before spraying, Spray, yeah. like stick them on afterwards, that sort of thing. But um, I put up sculpting guides and sculpting tips on my um, Instagram to make it more than just a, pic a load of collection of pretty models. Um, I would also just like to shout out to like basically that my team and thank them for all the hard work. We really burned the midnight oil to make this book and frankly the reception this is the next thank you is just to everyone who's thanked us for the book. Like the reception has been absolutely overwhelming. Like I didn't imagine it was going to be this popular. The, the, the simple fact of someone opening a thread in the um, ninth age forums for hobgoblins before I even could just shows how keen people were for this book. And it's been absolutely amazing. If anyone also is playing the army or wants to play the army and has any feedback, um, we are taking feedback on the um, Ninth Age forum. Just go into, just uh, well, log on and make an account, of course, because otherwise you can't post. Pretty simple. Um, but if you scroll down to the Infernal Dwarf section, there's a little sort of header under it that says Hobgoblins. But there should be multiple threads there, and there'll be uh, several ones. And if you just post in at least one of them, you'll get my attention, and like I'll look at your feedback and see what you have to say about the book. Because again, this is all like fan. Like basically, the fans do have control. Like fan ideas have got, made their way into books, and some fan ideas certainly haven't because there's a lot of people. <laughs> so, but any good idea is something worth looking at. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Tarano. Thank you for chatting to us from everything from uh, hobgoblins to cows to wolves to Hollywood films to ancient history to different miniature companies age of sigma everything it's been really really lovely having you here as a guest and as i say, i do urge everyone to click the links below to to go and check out um tarano's personal blog on cdo to check out the, the hobgoblin uh, army book they've created and and, and as, as tarano says if, you, if you're out there and you're playing ninth age um please give these guys your feedback it seems like this community is really really receptive at um, continually updating and creating so uh that that feedback can be really valuable to them to make sure that this game stays as as tight and and, and as balanced as it is right now so yeah tyro thank you so much for your time mate no problem anytime uh, and i do mean anytime like i've had invitations for podcasts coming out my ears Excellent, excellent. Um, and actually, I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast. This is going to be the last segment um, of, of the podcast. So 
So we'll actually take this opportunity to, to say goodbye to our listeners. Um, don't forget, those of you listening at home, it's the Chaos Dwarfs online forum is the place to be on the internet. So please, please, please come down. We've got competitions running. We've got amazing, amazing blogs. You've seen a lot of Tyranno's work today, and he is one of many, many inspiring creators on that platform. But you can see their work, you can engage with them, you can submit and create your own. We've got an amazing community there with our zine, with our podcast, and with all the people creating. So uh, we'd love, love, love to see you all over at the forum. But for now, unfortunately, that is all that we have time for. So we are going to say good night and goodbye. Take care, see you later. Bye.